Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for calling in today. I am sorry for the last-minute schedule change. Here's what we're planning to do. Todd McShay, covering his 10th NFL draft, will begin our Q&A session in just a minute, and then around 11 a.m. Eastern time, Mel Kuyper, covering his 35th NFL draft, will take over for the second hour. So plenty of expertise for you this morning. And just a couple of notes. First off, you're welcome to stay on the call for as long as you wish. There's no need to redial in for the second hour. And please know if you have already joined the call, you're already in line for questions. And lastly, just a favor, please skip any hi, hellos, or personal greetings and begin right away with your question. I appreciate your help keeping our call efficient. We'll begin this morning with a question from Courtney Cronin of ESPN Minneapolis followed by Daryl Slater with the Newark Star-Ledger. Um, no I have a question with the Vikings at 30, thinking about, you know, just the guard depth and obviously that being in need of, you know, position needs early on for them. Do you think there's any thought, though, given, you know, the depth in this class that they possibly trade out of the first round to fulfill a guard need later? And I guess where would they trade down to that would make sense? I mean, they certainly could. They're in a a really good spot considering how strong their roster is top to bottom. I mean, yes, guard is a need, but there are plenty of high-level starting guards in the NFL that have come from day two, day three, and and undrafted free agency. So I think, you know, knowing Rick, he's going to sit there and wait. He certainly is not averse to, to moving around. He's done that. He's been very efficient if you study his drafts over the years. Moving, taking advantage of teams that need to move up or are in a panic to move up and getting value for that. So typically you see if, if there's going to be a six quarterback, let's say, teams want to move up to the first round to go, to go get that guy. If they believe that they want to take him at 35, they'd rather go take him at 30 or 31 or 32 because then you get that fifth year option. So you're talking about an additional year with that quarterback. So I think Rick will sit around, wait, see what happens. This is a really good guard class. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that I think it could be in that range at 30, but could also see in the in the second round when they they pick at 62 that that there will be a good guard there as well. So you, you look at this class. Will Hernandez will be gone. Obviously, Quentin Nelson will be gone in the top 10. Connor Williams, I project as a guard out of Texas, will likely be gone, but could still be there. Isaiah Wynn is kind of in that area, coming out of Georgia. Austin uh, Corbett from Nevada is an underrated player, and I think if and those guys, in my opinion, are all kind of late first, early second round range. And Braden Smith from Auburn is another one that could be in the, the second round that could figure into their plan. So I, I think when you're in that good of a position, and there are very few teams who are, you wait to see what's there. If a position uh, player at a position falls to you that you never expected to be there that's different from offensive line, you just take advantage of it. If not, check to see if the phones are ringing. And if not, then you, you take the best available player on your board, and, and if it lines up with guard, it will probably be one of those names I just mentioned. We'll go to Daryl Slater, followed by Matt Kawahara with the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, Todd, another Jets quarterback question, of course. Uh, do you think, number one, that they that they could trade up to one or two? Do you think it would be wise? And, and if, say they stay at three and Mayfield and Rosen are there, if you put yourself in Mike McTagnon's shoes, what do you think he does? I think I don't think they're going to have a chance to move up to one. I, I think one is not open for business. 
and then Cleveland's going to stay there and take either Sam Darnold or, or Josh Allen. More people in the league I talk to are saying Josh Allen now, but I, I you know, until John Dorsey has has said it or the commissioner announces the name, you, you just never know. So assuming one of those two guys is gone, I don't, I don't think ultimately the Giants are going to wind up trading. I think they want to stay at two and, and take an elite player, and Sam Barkley would be my best guess. If it is Josh Allen at one, though, and if the Jets really like Sam Darnold, could they try to talk to the Giants about moving up one spot? If the Giants are kind of torn within their building, which I've heard some speculation of between Barkley and, and Sam Darnold, if Darnold's available, do the Jets try to, you know, nudge him a little bit towards, hey, we'll give you a later pick. Now you can take Barkley and get an additional pick and we can go up and get our guy. I mean, I, I think that that would be the only possibility of, of a move, but I think the, the high percentage guess right now would be the Jets are going to wind up picking at three, that either Josh Allen or, or Sam Darnold will be off the board, and if it's Allen first, then it'll be interesting to see if, if Darnold goes number two. If he does go number two and it comes down to Baker and, and, um, and Josh Rosen, I've, I've honestly, I've heard both. I've heard people who are very seem very convinced in in who they've talked to and, and what they know that Baker Mayfield's the guy, and I've talked to other people who are just seem just as convinced in who they've talked to and the information they got that Josh Rosen would be the guy. So I, one thing I have not heard is that the Jets are, have any interest in Josh Allen. That it would be Darnold and then one of those other two guys. We'll go to Matt Kawahara followed by Mike Chappell with Fox 59 Indianapolis. Hi, I wanted to just ask you about the uh, the Oakland Raiders at number 10. Uh, they've been linked in that spot a lot to uh, to either of the two linebackers, Smith or Edmonds. I, I wanted to just ask you if you think that's where they would go, assuming one or both of those guys is still available at that spot, or if, if they might look elsewhere. And also whether you think one of those guys, either Smith or Edmonds, is a better fit or more attractive to the Raiders there at 10. Yeah, Roquan Smith is the guy. I mean, Oakland, I don't know that they would be willing to give away additional picks later to go up and get him, but he's the guy they want, and he, they're, not, they're not the only ones. I mean, there are several teams that are, that are interested in Roquan and, and think that he's going to be, you know, they think he's going to be kind of the face of a defense-type player, and I agree. I think he's special. I think, you know, Luke Keekley, that type of impact right away and for many years, on your defense. I compare him to Jonathan Vilma, who's obviously not in the league anymore, but that type of player. Um, so if you're Oakland, you've got picks 10, 41, 75 in the first three rounds. No additional picks in the, you know, in the second or third round. I don't know that you want to give away a pick to go move up a couple spots to get him, because I think there's a chance Roquan could go as high as six to Indianapolis, I would say. That was that would probably be the first spot. I think Tampa would go in a different direction. I think Chicago would take him if he's there at number eight. So you probably I don't think you're going to get Tampa to move off that spot at seven. Indy might be a team you could move up with and, and get a good price to move up with if they're not moving back with another team for a uh, that's looking to come up for a quarterback. So again, I don't know that they want to move up and go get him, but I do know that, that there's a lot of love for Roquan Smith in that building. The two other names I've, I've heard linked to Oakland are, as you mentioned, Edmonds, and then, and I know, you know, Gruden's like tall, long, wingspan-type inside linebackers and before when working with him on the draft. 
And then uh, Vita Bay is another name to, to look out for that I've heard linked to Oakland as well. Mike Chappell is up, and then we'll go to Mark Canizero with the New York Post. Todd, if we assume that Chris Ballard is not going to trade back and, and moving back kind of cancels out probably two of the top three non-quarterbacks, what are the best options? Is it Nelson? Is it Smith? Where do you see them maybe going if Bradley Chubb, who might be the best option, isn't there? Yeah, unfortunately for India, I just don't see a scenario in which Bradley Chubb falls to them. I think Chubb would be – there's a slight chance the Giants could take him at two. I think if, if Saquon goes two, then Chubb will go four to Cleveland. And then if for however it shakes out, if Allen goes one, Darnold goes two, and Rosen or Mayfield go three, then I think Cleveland would take Saquon at four, and Denver would then take Chubb at five. So those are three spots in the top five, and, and I think Denver is, is the parachute pick for Chubb. So beyond that, with Indy, I think, I think Denzel Ward would probably be the, the top option at cornerback. I mean, guys – Four three two forty yard dash, explosive athlete. He's physical. He's uh, I think he's a plug and play starter. Even though he's only a one year starter at, at Ohio State, he was playing behind Gary and Conley and uh, Marshawn Lattimore, and you know, obviously rotating in with those guys and getting playing time. And then this year he he comes in, and I thought he was the best man to man cover corner in the in the nation. And he, he'll get after you too. So it's not just a, a finesse corner. He's a player who will support the run. So I think he would be a really good addition for Indy at that number six spot if they wind up staying. But I'm sure you hear the same things that they're they're open for business again. They, they have so many needs to fill, from edge rusher to cornerback to weak side linebacker, their offensive line, running back, receiver. That you can't get enough picks if if you're uh, if you're Indianapolis, and and they already have a, a good amount with four picks in the top 49 and five in the top 67. So. This is a really big draft for, for Ballard and the Colts. Mark Canizero is up, and then we'll go to Jason Galloway with the Wisconsin State Journal. Todd, I have two questions on uh, on two different positions. One, I'm wondering if you have any theory as to why so many USC quarterbacks have not made the transition into the NFL, uh, other than kind of Carson Palmer seems to be the one guy that has a sustained successful career. And the second question is um, – is there more of an emphasis on guards now? Obviously, Nelson's the you know is, is the big guy in this draft. Are guards becoming more of a uh, of a of a commodity in in, in NFL drafts? And, and if so, why? I would say slightly more. I'll work in reverse order. I would say slightly more only because see what's happened in the NFL is the passing game has gotten shorter. If you go study not the yards per attempt but the yards in the air that the ball travels per attempt. It's got it's gone down a yard and change, I believe, in the last ten years, and it, almost every year it goes down a little bit. And so, what does that mean? It means receivers. You got to get guys that can get off the press, who can can separate quickly and can create after the catch, because you don't have as, you don't have as much time typically to wait for a vertical receiver to run a deep post route or a post corner you know, and be able to protect your quarterback. Quarterback has become invaluable in the game, and so protecting the quarterback has become hugely important. And on the defensive side, what's happened is if you can find a guy that can rush from the inside, it's obviously 
it's the fastest path to getting to the quarterback. So uh, a guy like Aaron Donald's about to get paid a boatload of money because he's a great player and deserves it, but also because he can get to the quarterback faster and more consistently from that three-technique spot than you can from a wide nine when you're rushing off the edge. So I think because of that, making sure you have a really good left guard and that you're solid in, along the interior has become more and more important. And so I, I don't want to overemphasize it. I don't think guard is the new tackle or, or anything like that, but I, I think that there's a little bit more priority for, for a lot of teams to make sure that, that they're squared away at the guard position. But I also I don't want to link Quentin Nelson and some of these guards to it. I, I think these guards would wind up going high regardless of, of what the emphasis is. And, and Nelson, you could argue, is the second-best player in this draft. And he's still going to probably fall to maybe eight to Chicago, somewhere in that range, because he is a guard. So I, I, it's still not a priority position. I do think there's a little bit more emphasis, but I think you're going to see a, a lot more guards go in the first couple rounds this year than we normally see, and it has everything to do with just the talent, from Nelson to Will Hernandez, Connor Williams, Isaiah Wynn, Austin Corbett, Bra- uh, Braden Smith, uh, depends on what you how you classify uh, Martinez Rankin from Mississippi State, a guard, a center, a tackle. But uh, the, you're talking about seven, eight guys you could see come off the board in the first couple of rounds. Oh, and then USC, sorry. Um, you know, I, first of all, that not all these guys went high. Carson was, was a success. Leinert wasn't. Leinert was also drafted into a tough situation where his, his head coach believed in him, but then all of a sudden he's gone. And I think we lose sight on we lose sight of what's happened and how a player's developed after he's drafted oftentimes it's always just well he was the tenth overall pick and he was a bust well you know he didn't really have a, a good situation there and then you look at some of the other guys and I, I think there weren't very there weren't very many that were you know top ten picks that have gone on to be absolute busts from USC so Mark Sanchez you know, he was probably overrated. And I think with the liner and Sanchez, some of it is, yes, they were overrated because they had so much around them. I mean, that's when they were rolling. It was some of the best rosters in the history of college football were, were when those guys were there with, you know, Bush and, and all the offensive linemen that they sent on the NFL and the wide receivers. I mean, there was talent everywhere on those USC teams. So the quarterback was put in a good position and he was being coached by some of the top offensive minds at the time in college football. So I think we probably overrated those guys a little bit just based on the supporting cast that they have. So uh, with with Darnold, I think it's different. I mean, he lost three offensive linemen to the NFL this year. Juju Smith-Schuster was the best rookie receiver in the NFL, and he lost another really good college receiver from the year before, and he still winds up going 20-4 and four as, as a starter at USC. So you have to really isolate each quarterback and, and look at the situation and not – it's, I think you make a mistake if you just paint it with a broad, uh, broad brush saying that every USC quarterback is, is going to be a failure in the NFL. We'll go to Jason Galloway and then Chuck Carlton with the Dallas Morning News. Scott, I want to ask you about a couple of Wisconsin players, cornerback uh, Nick Nelson and tight end Troy Fumagalli. What have you seen from those two guys on tape? And uh, they're both dealing with injuries during this uh, process, I think a, a her, uh, hernia for, for Fumagalli and four minutes for Nelson. Are are either of those guys hurting uh, from those injuries as far as their draft stock? Um, you know, I, for both of them, I have a late-round priority free agent types. 
you know, and, and I think when you, you look at it, I think at the cornerback position, speed's important, and, and that's going to be somewhat of a, you know, somewhat of a concern. The other guy, too, is uh, Rico Gafford, who, who ran really well at the – is a safety at the, um, at the pro day that when I was there, obviously watching Josh Allen, but he, he had a, a good workout, too. So I think all those guys are probably looking at seventh round, or more likely priority free agent at this point. We'll go to Chuck Carlton and then Ben Bolin with the Boston Globe. Just wanted to get your evaluation, and you had mentioned him earlier in the conference call in passing about the offensive lineman, but where you have Texas's Connor Williams among the guys available on the O-line, and do you see him more as a guard or tackle at the next level? Well, Williams is a tough evaluation because he was one of the top prospects that I evaluated from 2016, and then he comes back in 2017. His tape against Maryland just wasn't wasn't good. It was not to the level that he had played the year prior. And then he winds up getting injured and, um, you know, comes back briefly and then doesn't finish the season. So there, there's a lot of talent there, and I, I think you have, you have to project and you have to really look internally as an organization. And, you know, do you have a, a Dante Skarnecchia? Do you have one of the top offensive line coaches, a guy who can develop a player like this and, and get the most out of him? I think he needs to continue to add some bulk. He's got to work on his technique and his hands a little bit as a in pass protection. He's really good as a run blocker, even though he's not – I wouldn't call him dominant or overpowering, but he's a really efficient run blocker who's, who's got some work still to do as, in pass protection. The 33-inch arms is certainly a concern. I mean, for some teams that's a bigger deal than others. He's got big hands, but the length is, is, a, um, is a concern, and it's something that, that – Certain teams will look at it and say, you know what, he's absolutely an offensive guard in the NFL. Um, is, is he Riley Reef, that type of player? We'll see you over time. But, um, you know, I, I think if you go off the 2016 tape and you feel really good about your coaching staff, I, I think you're going to get a really good deal late in the first, early in the second on a, a guy that could potentially play left tackle for you. But the, the fail safe is, is certainly a guard. I've ranked him as a guard. I think that's eventually where he'll wind up. But some teams will, will think that they can – maybe overcome that and, and work to do that. Ben Bolin is up, and then we'll go to Tom Rock with Newsday. Uh, hey, Tom. Uh, instead of a question about a player or team, I've just got a, a kind of a general trend question about the draft for you, if you don't mind. Um, someone on the Rams was talking about uh, Cooper Cup and how uh, just because of all the analytics and all the data that's available now, a guy like him who maybe would have been a late-round pick years ago all of a sudden became a third-round pick this year. Have you noticed how um, analytics and data and all the information that's available, has it changed the way that prospects are viewed and graded now? Uh, this is probably a half-hour conversation, but um, it can go both ways. Let's put it that way. There's, most NFL teams have an analytics department. Some, some NFL teams are much more open to it in terms of the decision makers, the football guys, quote unquote, um, some teams aren't. And some of the teams that aren't are very, very successful. And some of the teams that are are very, very successful. So it depends on how you use them. And I think analytics has gotten a little bit of a, a negative term. There are a lot of guys that say they don't use analytics, but then they study, you know, they, they study history and trends and all this different data and they apply it to, 
you know, their, their draft philosophies, their practice hours, and, and all these different things. And they're basically using analytics, but just don't call it analytics. So, again, I don't want to go off on a whole tangent, but while it can certainly be a positive for you, I think you look at Cooper Cuff, and he's a perfect example of why the numbers can get in the way of the evaluation sometimes. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, I mentioned before, didn't run very well last year and, and fell to the second round. He was the best route runner in the draft, and he was the the most productive rookie receiver. I think the top three receivers last year were drafted in the top nine and had 46 combined catches. I want to say it was 34 for, um, who was it? Let's see, Ross had zero. Mike Williams had a few. And then I think Corey Davis wound up with 34, kind of finished the season strong. But you compare that to the production that Smith-Schuster had as a second-round pick, and then Cooper Cup falling to where he did, you know, I think he, the sole reason he he fell as far as he did was because he ran a four six two or a four six five, and if it wasn't for, if he had run a four five five, he's going to be an early second round pick. And he was the second best route runner in the class last year. Had great hands, will work the middle, and it brings a lot of versatility. So I I think Cup is a really good example of a guy that we overlook because of some of the numbers and get away from the the tape and and what we've seen from him playing football. We'll go to Tom Rock with Newsday, and then Jesse Doherty with the Washington Post. Todd, it seems like the only knock on Saquon Barkley is the position he plays. Uh, I'm wondering if you can uh, just talk a little bit about the value of running back in the draft, and and uh, you know if he makes sense for the Giants at number two, given that uh, you know there are a lot of good running backs that they could probably get at the top of the second or later in the draft. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you in, in that there are a lot of good running backs. This guy's different, though. And don't often say this. I, we've actually had a good run the last few years between Leonard Fournette, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley. After two years of going without a running back in the first round, we've had this kind of influx of talent. And so if you're committed to the run game and that's what you want to be as an organization, then it then it makes sense. You know, Dallas wanted to be that team, and you saw when he was healthy and on the field his rookie year, the impact that he made. They had put together the offensive line, and they wanted to emphasize the run game, and, and it worked. And we see with good coaching this past year what Todd Gurley was able to do, arguably the MVP of the league. Um, and then uh, Leonard Fournette last year on a team focused on running the football. So I think that's a big component in all this. What is your emphasis? If, if you're trying to throw the ball around and – and, you know, and you're going to go 60, 40, 70, 30 pass to run, then I don't know that it makes sense. But if the, the Giants want to be a run-first team, and it, that's what I'm told that they, the emphasis is, then Barkley makes all the sense in the world because he, the talent is there. It doesn't take a super scout to figure out that he's a highly talented back with six foot, 233 pounds, runs the 4440, explosive numbers across the board. The tape matches up, and then he, he'll pass protect, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So you're getting an every-down starter and a a player that brings intangibles and leadership and a work ethic that you rarely find in a, a player who's your most talented player on the football team. So I think he's a franchise-changing type player. Let me go back to I, I wrote down before. I apologize. I hope he's still on the, the line. The, the question about Wisconsin was kind of breaking up, and I thought he said Wyoming. So – I think Fumagalli and Nelson were the two names he asked for. I was looking through my Wyoming players. But Fumagalli, 
I think in the tight end class, it's a good group. It's not a great group. But I, I think Fumagalli is kind of in that third tier. I would say Hayden Hurst and Dallas Goddard are in the first tier. Mike Gusecki and Ian Thomas are in the second tier. And then I would say Mark Andrews from Oklahoma, Jordan uh, Aikens from UCF, Chris Herndon also had an injury coming out of uh, Miami, and then Fumagalli would all be in that, that third tier where we're talking day three, but earlier on day three. And as far as Nick Nelson, I really liked his tape. I, I remember being done with his tape and being like, you know, this guy is underrated, and he's got a, he's got a lot of potential. And it it was frustrating to hear about the injury, but um, but I, I think assuming he comes gets back at full strength and whether it's as a rookie or second year, I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. He's a big corner. He's got movement skills, good ball reaction, supports the run. Um, I think eventually he can start. He can start in the league and he'll push for a starting job. And he loves the game. He works his tail off. He's got some things to do in terms of he gets a little grabby in coverage and, and got to use his hands a little bit better, but. This is a player that, that has you know, 5'11", 200 pounds, ran a 4'5", and, and uh, I think he's got the skill set to be a, a really good number two or number three eventually in the league. We'll go to Jesse Doherty and then Tom Shad with USA Today. Shad, what would be the case uh, right now for a team to draft D.J. Moore in the first round, and then conversely, what would be the case against it, um, maybe some of the concerns in that spot? Yeah, I, I think he's going to wind up being a, a first-round pick. Now, you know, the, the, I guess that the first thing that comes to mind is when the ball is in his hand, he's, he's really productive. Uh, stickly built, kind of built like a running back. He's, I would say he's more fluid than twitchy, if that makes sense. I, I saw really good sav, um, craftiness, savvy as a route runner. Knows how to set up defensive backs. He knows how to leverage his stem and, and get the most out of, out of the, the area, if you will, in order to, to set the defensive back up before his breaks. Um, good. I thought he had very good speed on tape, confirmed it with the 4-4-2 at the combine. He accelerates really quickly after the catch. He's going to make the first defender miss, and he's a strong runner, too. I mean, he's a guy, he's, again, he's not going to break a lot of ankles, but he accelerates up the field quickly, transitions quickly. He'll make that first guy miss, and then if he catches a crease, he's got the speed to, to go a little bit, and he also will – add three, four yards at the end of some runs or some run after catches because of his how strong he is as a runner. So there's not a lot of major weaknesses in his games. Obviously, he didn't have the production that some of these guys had, but even with the poor quarterback situation, he wound up with over 1,000 yards receiving this past year and uh, averaged 14 yards per catch throughout his career. So, I mean, he may not – he's not 6'4 and 220 running a 4'4", but he's six foot two ten running a 4'4", and he, he does a lot of – Really good things. I think he and Calvin Ridley are the top two receivers. I have Cortland Sutton from SMU a little bit lower as a second-round prospect behind some other guys like Anthony Miller and DJ Chark, but I'm told by several guys in the NFL that Sutton is going to wind up being a a first-round pick when it's all said and done. Tom Shad is up, and then Ben Gessling with the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Hey, Todd, so I know there's been some, some chatter about um, the Patriots maybe taking a quarterback in the first round with, with Brady getting up there in age. But historically, I mean, they're looking at these day two, day three guys. Um, who are some of the quarterbacks, I guess, in that range, maybe mid to late rounds, that you think they could look at? Um, any guys that you like particularly or guys that you think would be a good fit for them? Um, you know, it's probably all the same names you've heard. I mean, we know 
we know early on, probably very likely in the top 12 picks, that we're going to see Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, in whichever order, uh, come off the board. Lamar Jackson could be there at 23. I think that's, you know, it's anybody's guess at this point. But I, I would be surprised if any earlier than 16 to the Ravens, and I, I don't think that that's going to ultimately be their choice. I I would be I feel good about saying he's somewhere in that 20 to 35-ish range is where Lamar uh, projects. So after that, what do you do? If you're the Patriots and, and you don't want to go the Lamar Jackson route, if he is there or if he's off the board by the time you pick at 23 and you've decided not to package picks and, and move up, which I would understand considering you know, they've got a handful of needs. And you, you just look at it, offensive tackle, cover linebacker they need. Um, they could use an edge rusher. They could use – it's not a high priority, but they – Certainly could use a, a tight end for the future. How long is Gronkowski going to play? And, and a safety with Patrick Chung. Not sure how long he's going to play after this, this next year. So there's a lot of different areas that they could use these four picks to address with the, in the top 63 overall. But I do think I would be very surprised if we got past that 63rd pick and they hadn't used at least one of them on a quarterback. So if if it's in the second round, or maybe it's at 31 overall, they decide to pull the trigger on a guy like Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State. I've got more of a late second, early third round grade on him. Kyle Laletta from Richmond, kind of the same range. And then after that, I think it, it kind of falls off a little bit with Luke Falk being the other guy. I mean, Laletta and Falk are the two guys that you hear a lot of, I guess with Rudolph as well. But Laletta, dad played at Navy, uncle played at Navy, the Navy connection for Belichick lacrosse player he just there's a lot of things there and more importantly he's fast eyes intelligent picks things up quickly I think would be effective in that quarterback room with Brady and you know I think could serve a purpose early on when he's not playing and learning and and developing so I think those are the names that you're going to hear with the Patriots and I'm fascinated to see how how they move forward because this this could be it I mean if this is Brady's last year they know they've got to get a guy and, and have him ready and to go in two years from now. Ben Gessling is next, and then Ryan Dunleavy with NewJersey.com. Yeah, Todd, with the Vikings at 30, when you're in one of these drafts where there's a, a potentially a high emphasis on quarterbacks on the front end and, and you don't need one in the Vikings' case, how can that, I guess, help a team that doesn't need one when you might have players fall that ordinarily might not fall in a draft where there aren't so many quarterbacks at the top of it? Well, I don't think the top four quarterbacks – necessarily affect a team picking in the late 20s or 30s. Um, you know, we usually see two to three quarterbacks in the, the first round anyway. So, I mean, yeah, maybe it bumps back one player. I think where it could help a team like the Vikings or, you know, any of these teams that are picking late in the first round, talking about the Patriots, obviously the Eagles, I think where it could help them, two areas actually. One, if Lamar Jackson goes and then a Mason Rudolph goes, now you're talking about six quarterbacks, which is, you know, three, four more than normal. And they're also going in the area where you're picking. So that could bump back some, some players that typically would be off the board there. The other area it could help is if, and we talked about this earlier, the Vikings or the Patriots or the Eagles are looking to move back because they, they just don't see the value. They think they're going to get the same type of player at, let's say, 35 or 38 that they could get at 30, 31, 32. You take even a bad deal to move back a few spots, get the same player, and 
take advantage of a team wanting to move up. As I talked about with the quarterbacks, if you can move up to the first round, even though you're paying slightly more money, who cares? What you're getting is you're getting a fifth-year option to keep that quarterback, and now you, you control a, a whole other year of, of that uh, contract, which the Raiders would love to have, would have loved to have, you know, with, with uh, Derek Carr. So that, that's a good example of a, a team where if you had that fifth year, it could buy you some time in terms of having to pay out the money. We'll go to Ryan Dunleavy and then Ray Fittipaldo with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hey, Todd. Uh, quarterback with quarterback and the Giants are you one of the people who believe if they did you know go with a quarterback instead of Barkley or Chubb that Darnold is the only one that could entice them of the four and then uh conjointly uh if Davis I know some people had a first round grade on Davis Webb last year obviously he ended up going in the third round if he was in this group where would he be a first rounder where would he fit among these top five six guys I, I had Davis Webb with the third round grade, so I I would have him I would have him in that range with the Mason Rudolph, Kyle Lauletta, you know. So I, I I'm probably the wrong guy to ask on that, but I I do know they internally they they like a lot of what they've seen. What I can't wrap my brain around is why they didn't use, utilize the time late last season when things you know the season was over and get a game or two out of them and see what they have. It just it, that made absolutely no sense to me. But what's done is done. So now you've, you've got a quarterback that you like from practice and training camp and some of the things you've seen and obviously meeting with him and, and picking his brain and, and all the things that you get to learn about a quarterback when you're around him every day in the building. But you're not certain of anything. Not that you'd be certain, but you would have a much better grasp of what he what he is and what he could become. And so now they're kind of just in, in that that middle ground where they, they think he could possibly be the next guy and they think they have another couple of years out of Manning, so so maybe we'll pass here. I, ultimately, I've heard Sam Darnold is the only quarterback they would consider taking at number two, and then I've heard really strongly that there are important people in that building that believe in, in um, Saquon Barkley the player, that that's what they want to be. The Giants want to be a, a run-first physical football team, and that Saquon can basically be the, the face of that franchise moving forward several years, that he he can be the back that, they, you know, that they've had in years past. He can be – um, if you spend 10 minutes with Saquon, you understand that he's, he's going to be a face of a franchise. He's just – he's so likable, so easy to get along with, great, genuine – young man who loves the game and is going to give you everything he's got every week. So I, he, it just feels to me like it's inevitable Saquon Barkley is going to be a New York Giant. Ray Fittipaldo is next, and then Joey Knight with the Tampa Bay Times. Tom, 19 defensive backs were taken in the first two rounds last year. Do you expect that trend to continue? And then the second part of that question is, are the colleges producing enough of these versatile DBs that these coordinators need to match up in today's NFL? I'm, I'm counting right now. I've, I've got 12 defensive backs graded in the first two rounds, but that, that doesn't mean that there won't be more. I mean, a cornerback, Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, Mike Hughes, Josh Jackson, Dante Jackson, Isaiah Oliver, Carlton Davis, all first and second round grades. 
safety Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick, Justin Reed, all first-round grades, Ronnie Harrison and, and Jesse Bates from Wake Forest in the second round. So uh, there's 12. I, I would say it's kind of an average class. I wouldn't say it's a, a weak class. I think there are some other guys that could sneak in, too. I think Anthony Averitt could be a late second from Alabama. I think uh, Isaac Yedem from Boston College could sneak in that late second-round range. M.J. Stewart from North Carolina. Holton Hill from Texas. Perry Nickerson and, and Duke Dawson. Uh, Nickerson from Tulane. Dawson from Florida are both really good nickel slot cover corner guys. So, And then Terrell Edmonds is a height-weight speed guy, the brother of um, Tremaine uh, Edmonds, the defensive end pass rusher – or, sorry, the uh, outside linebacker. The, the long guy who could be a, a pass rusher off the edge as well. And, um, so I, I think we're probably looking at somewhere around 15, 16 defensive backs. I, you know, I think the, I think the quality of defensive back has, has been good in the last few years. I think you're seeing guys come in and contribute right away. Um, Marshawn Lattimore comes to mind, obviously. The, the Jets got their, their safety in face of their secondary for a long time. Jacksonville Jaguars have one of the best young corners in, in the league. I mean, there there have been a lot of good defensive backs the last two or three years, and and um, and I think this year is going to produce another handful. I, I'm really high on Ward, really high on Derwin James and Mika Fitzpatrick. I, I think they're going to be plug-and-play starters and and um, eventually perennial all-pro type players in the NFL. We'll go to Joey Knight and then Mike Wells with ESPN Indianapolis. But I guess the most uh, puzzling uh, draft prospect here in the Tampa Bay area is Quentin Flowers from USF. Just based on what you've seen and observed, do you think he has a chance to get drafted, if not a quarterback, but some position? Yeah, he is, he's an interesting one because he's obviously very talented and, and had a lot of success. And, you know, I studied him and, and you're kind of trying to look at him in, in both ways as a – an athlete, and then as a potential quarterback to develop. The, the trouble is with a lot of these quarterbacks that need more time and development. Where do you de- where do you get it? Where do you where do you develop, and and how do you have the time? So maybe we'll see with some of these developmental leagues that are popping up that there'll be more more options. I I view them quite honestly as more of a a developmental running back, offensive weapon type. I think. You know, he's 215 pounds, 5'10", runs a 4'6", I think a 4'6'3 at Indianapolis. Not great speed, but um, but obviously he, he can do some things with the, the ball in his hands. And if he wants to make a run at a quarterback, I think it's probably going to be as a as an undrafted free agent who may have to bounce around some different leagues and, and just get some experience and continue to work on his footwork. There's just there's too many... Misroutine throws, I think, would be the the biggest issue. His height is a concern, has been overcome by some, but you you have to be really refined as a passer, and really, you know, your timing and ability to move within the pocket and and locate passing windows. If you're if you're five ten, um, you've got to be Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson is in kind of one in a million, really. Mike will Mike Wells is next, and then Brooke Pryor with the Oklahoman. Yeah, Todd, if, if the Colts decide to um, go with uh, Roquan Smith from uh, Georgia at that sixth pick, what is it that makes him – what is it about him that makes him the best linebacker in this uh, draft class? Well, he 
I think he's a – if you protect him a little bit and give him some room to work, I think he's he has exceptional range. He's Yes, he's 236 pounds, which is kind of your average size weak linebacker, weak side linebacker. Um, but he, he's physical. The way he finishes is really impressive. He brings his hips through contact. He's a face-up tackler. He's one of the best tacklers in this draft. And then you have third downs. And in today's NFL – I think he's just a perfect fit because, yes, he can play the run and sideline to sideline, really instinctive. And a lot of guys will make a tackle at the line of scrimmage that he's going to make two, three yards in the backfield. Or some guys will make tackles three yards down the field where he's going to make it at the line of scrimmage because of how fast his eyes are, how quickly he closes, and how effective he is as a tackler. Then on passing downs, I mean, I've seen this guy. I've got a tape of him against, against Auburn. Slot receiver, I and mean, he he turns, flips his hips, runs with them vertically, and and basically attacks the ball like he's the wide receiver. And you don't get many guys that can do that from an instincts and athletic athleticism standpoint. And then he also had 20 quarterback hurries and six and a half sacks this past year, which is production for a linebacker usually over a two or three year period. A guy who's playing off the ball, so he does just about everything. And then you get to know him and talk to everyone around him and the. And the intangibles and the work ethic that he brings. He is your classic leader by example, and he just he doesn't put up with any nonsense, and he expects excellence from everyone around him. At, at Georgia, that's what he got. And I think in the NFL, he will quickly become that guy for the, whether it's the Colts or you know, the Chicago Bears or whichever team winds up drafting him. He's not going to last very long on draft night. Next is Brooke Pryor, followed by Doug Holler with the Arizona Republic. Hey, Todd, I know Baker Mayfield's obviously the guy out of Oklahoma that's getting the most buzz, but I'm curious a little bit more about Mark Andrews and Orlando Brown. You know, you mentioned that Mark Andrews is a third-tier tight end, and I'm curious if he made the right decision by coming out a year early, and I was also wondering if Orlando Brown has managed to rehabilitate his stock at all since the combine. Yeah, Andrews made the right decision. I mean, he, you know, he played three years. He had um, played 40 games over his career, 112 catches, averaged 16 yards per catch. Let's put it this way. There was just nothing left that he was going to prove in the, at the college level. And when you, when your quarterback at that high of a level leaves, if you're, if you're at all ready, it's, it's the right decision. I think you're basically drafting a slot receiver and that's how you have to look at it. There are, there are Y tight ends, inline tight ends. There are F tight ends who are called kind of move tight ends that are real, that legitimately will block. You just kind of get them on the move and utilize in different ways. But usually it's kind of, more often than not it's detached. With Andrews, he's just he's just not going to block. You just have to you have to deal with that. He's he his effort is not great in that area. He's it's just not what he does. But you know, there are plenty of guys in the NFL who don't block too and, and are very successful. And I, I think that when you look at his skill set, it's 6'5", 256 pounds, running a 4'5", at the combine, so verified 4'5", not a 38-yard pro day where it's downhill. Just, he, he just has tools that a lot of teams are looking for and, and are hard to find, so he becomes that mismatch. I, I think a team like the Saints would absolutely love this this kind of guy. I think the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, have interest in Mark Andrews. So I, I have a – third, fourth round grade on him, but to be honest, I think because 
he can do something that a lot of guys cannot do, I think he's going to wind up going second, third round range. Oh, uh, Orlando Brown. I'm sorry, Orlando Brown. You talk to one team and they it just doesn't fit the numbers. You talk to another team and they say, you know what, his tape is good enough. We're we're still considering him in the second round. So I think when it's all said and done, Orlando Brown will will still come off the board in the first two rounds. I think it's very likely that he won't come off the board in the first round. But um, again, it, it some teams value the numbers and put more emphasis in the numbers than others. But I've talked to enough teams now in the last two weeks. Uh, that have said, you know, don't don't bury Orlando Brown just because of the numbers because we we like him and and we still think he's worth a second round pick if, if we're in position to take him. We'll go to Doug Holler followed by Brady Henderson with ESPN Seattle. Todd, I wanted to ask you about Arizona State's Kalen Balage. Obviously, he measures up physically very well with the running backs in this class, but maybe his body work in college does not. Just how do you view him as a prospect? He was an interesting evaluation. Um, you know, elite measurables, as you mentioned. You, you just don't find many guys who are six one and a half, two twenty eight, run a four four six, and and have his the workout numbers that he had. I think he's he's a different body type, but I almost feel like he's another McCaffrey, where yes, you can hand him the ball and he's, he'll. Give you something in the run game, but I think he's, I think he's just more natural and better as a receiver. And it was, it took a while to kind of come up with that theory, and that's just my opinion. But, um, but, you know, in, his vision and patience just aren't what they need to be right now at the running back position. He has average power and balance for a guy his size. I think his agility and acceleration are what, you know, what stand out on tape. And, and then he's a really just natural route runner and pass catcher. And I think that that's, that's how he's going to be used. So in today's NFL, it works out perfectly. You can, if you want to use him in the return game, you can. Uh, he's competitive, no off the field issues. He's a guy who's going to come in and, and give you versatility and, and maybe it's five, six catches a game and five, six carries a game, but there's, there's space for him in the NFL in that role. And I think probably somewhere on day two is where he winds up coming off the board. I, the, the one thing with him is fumble the, Ball security. He he ranked seventh worst among the 35 running backs that we tracked in the running back class with uh, ball security. So he's he's got to improve in that area. But he's just got too much talent, I think, to fall to anywhere past the third round. Brady Henderson will go to you, and then Chris Thomason with the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I thought uh, with Shaquem Griffin. Uh, where do you see the Seahawks among the best team picks for him, and how likely do you think that could be that they draft him? And if so, what round would you see that happening? Well, obviously, it would be a good story to pair him up with his his twin brother. Um, I, you know, I I don't really look at it that way. I I know that that's kind of the angle you're coming from with Seattle. I think from a round stamp standpoint, third fourth round is about the range. I think there there are some teams that look at it and if you if you like him, here's how you view him. He's going to contribute right away on special teams. He ran the fastest 40 yard dash in the history of the combine at the, at the linebacker position, and he loves the game. He brings unbelievable energy. He can tackle, and so he can. You got a guy now who's going to run in the four threes, chasing down kickoffs and, and punts, and, and loves loves doing it. Has the right mentality. 
Then on defense, I think you have to figure out how, to, how you're going to utilize him. He's not going to be an every-down player, certainly not right away. But I think he can play that overhang or hang around the box where he's in coverage at times, can support the run when – you know, not when it's first and ten and, and the team's, you know, lining up and trying to pound the ball away or short yardage. But I think in today's NFL, he he can support the run on, on some second downs and some obvious passing downs where a team tries to, you know, tries to throw you off. He can cover a little bit, has some, some work to do in terms of his refinement there. And then the big question is, can can he continue to improve and can he get away with not just the one hand, more so the the lack of size. I mean, how many guys in the league at what was he two twenty five? I think um, at that size wind up being successful as edge rushers. So I I believe in him, and I would take a chance on him late in the third, early in the fourth round. I just think he's the kind of guy you want to have in your locker room. I've been around him enough now to know what he brings to the table. Uh, those guys just absolutely rave about him at Nebraska, and I've spent. A couple times, half hour, forty-five minute meetings with him, him and other teammates, and you can just see what he brings. And he loves the game. He's been told he can't do stuff his whole life, and, and he never listened. And he's overcome everything. He's the best player on the field every time he stepped on the field the past two years at UCF, including against Auburn. And he was one of the five, six best defensive players throughout the week at the Senior Bowl, and he did what he did at the Combine. So I, I don't think you're very smart if you bet against him. It's just trying to figure out where you want to take a player like that. And to me, a situational player, special teams contributor, sub-package guy, that's later in the third, fourth round. Chris Thomason will go to you, and then Steve Serby with the New York Post. Yes, uh, Todd, many believe the Vikings will take an offensive lineman at 30, but if they're, and you've touched upon it, but if there's a jumble of linemen Still left, who should be available in the second round. Do you see the Vikings going a possible another route if they stay at number 30? And what are some positions and players you could see them considering in, in, at that spot then? We had a lot of Vikings calls today. I wonder if it has something to do with my, my good friend Allie here. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I think listen, Rick Spielman's not going to reach for a position if, if he doesn't if he doesn't need to take. You know, if, if he doesn't think the grade matches up, that, that's always been his, his tact. And and if you look at it, he has a really good history in the draft. So I, I think they'll they'll weigh it like they always do. And as they, as you should, we're sitting there and and there's let's say Connor Williams still available, Austin Corbett still available, but we could get maybe Braden Smith in the in the third round or sorry later in the second round. Then um, you know I, I think that they. They certainly will factor in if they have a few players with similar grades that, hey, this is a deep interior offensive line class. The thing you have to try to figure out, and this is the thing that every team that's looking for offensive linemen is trying to figure out, because there's not great depth this year, especially at tackle, when's the run going to happen? And we've got to make sure that we're in the middle of the run or in the front end of the run and not in the back end of the run and left out. And I think because there are – one, two, three, four, about five guys, six, maybe six guys that you view at the tackle class, in the tackle class as first and second rounders. Another six guys at guard, depending on where you – and then I have Rankin at center, and then so there's another four guys at center. So the tackle class is light. The guard class is solid. The center class is solid. You know, they just – they've got to figure out the Vikings and any other team, as I said, 
in that later first-round range what guy's going to be available at that spot. And if it's not there, I think, you know, you look at, for the Vikings, the cornerback class is, is pretty good. They could use a corner. They could use a weak side linebacker. You know, if Rashad Evans were ever to fall at that spot, that would be, um, that would be a really good value. Leighton Vanderesh is another guy that could be in that range. People are projecting him to go a little bit before the Vikings. Um, and then I think defensive line, if they, if a pass rusher was still there that they were intrigued by that, that slipped a little bit, it certainly would work out. So I think it's offensive line and the really corner defensive line and weak side linebacker would be the positions that they're looking to hopefully find quality players in the first two, three rounds. We'll go to Steve Serby and then Susan Miller-Degnan with the Miami Herald. And can we check Steve's line? Hello, hello. can you hear me? Yep. Yes, gotcha. Uh, how would you rate this quarterback class as in, an, in its entirety, and specifically also Rudolph, Falk, White, and Lawletta? That's a good question. I, well, I, I learned last night, thanks to our ESPN Stats and Information Group, I had never graded four quarterbacks with actual first-round grades. We've had four quarterbacks go before. I think five is the record. I want to say in '83, but um, but I've never actually given grades to four quarterbacks in the year that are equivalent to the first round. So I personally think it's one of the better classes. You know, in hindsight, we can always look back on. But what were you thinking at the time of the draft? What, what were your grades? To me, this is one of the better, the best classes we that I've ever evaluated from a talent standpoint. When you're talking about the top of the draft. Then Lamar Jackson is kind of the wild card. I think if put in a situation to be developed in a creative offense, he's not Pat Mahomes, but if it put in that kind of situation where you can sit a year, there's no pressure to play, learn the offense, work with him, and then, and then have weapons everywhere like Kansas City has, year two you go in as a starter and, and you're then being put in a position to succeed. So I think Lamar, a lot of it's going to do with where he winds up and, and who's coaching him. Uh, beyond that, Mason Rudolph, I'm not as high on Mason as some other people. I think he's more of a third-round value. I, I think he's probably going to be a solid backup in the league. I, I don't view him as an eventual uh, good starter. I think Kyle Ouellette in the right system could be, you know, a Case Keenum type. It's probably a comparison I, I would make. I think he's going to need a little bit of time to make the transition, but he, he'll pick things up quickly. He does not have a big arm. He's got average mobility, solid, average to solid mobility, but he gets the ball out quickly. He's just a very precision-based, efficient passer. And then after that, I think there's a real drop-off. I do think there's some interesting players in the late rounds, like Logan Woodside from Toledo is underrated. Could be a steal in the fifth round or so. Kyle Allen from A&M, transferred to Houston, just really – Tough coaching situations during his collegiate career. He is loaded with talent, though, and his tape really was surprising. I can't believe that he wasn't a multiple-year starter at the college level and that 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 wasn't figured out by some of the places that he was. Um, Tanner Lee, some teams are interested in as a backup. Chase Litton from Marshall, some teams really like. So there's some talent throughout. I I would say it's a very average group when you get past the first five. I would say it's one of the best 
groups when you're talking about the top tier talent that at least I've been around since I don't know when I around 2000. So we're talking about 18 years. Okay, we're going to go to Susan next, and then we'll make our transition. So this is Todd's last question, and then Jim Wyatt with Titans Online. We're going to continue with you, and Mel is going to join the call. So everyone can stay on the line. If you've asked a question of Todd and still have a question of Mel, just keep on the line. I'm working through our list. So, Susan, I'll let you ask your question of Todd. Your thoughts on the University of Miami draft-eligible class, including three who left early, and which Hurricanes do you think could go day two and in about, and in about what rounds? And if you need me to name any, let me know. Well, go ahead. Just give me your list that you want, and I'll, I'll, I'll rip through them. Okay. Well, there's, I mean, you know, the, the early ones, leaving early, were Mark Walton, the running back, Kendrick Norton, defensive tackle, R.J. McIntosh, defensive tackle, and the, some of the seniors would be Chad Thomas, a defensive end, wide receiver Braxton Berrios. Um, I know you mentioned something about Chris Herndon, tight end. Yep. Uh, Oh, oh, lineman Casey McDermott and cornerback D. Delaney. I, I know that's too many, but yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll get five or six of them. I, I think um, the defensive line position. When I, I look at it, I think um, McIntosh to me is probably in that third round range for me. Range for me. He's a, a good player. I think he can continue to develop. He had certainly flashes this past year, and and. Um, and he and he and Norton, obviously they had a good defensive front. They did some good things. Their best game, I think, was probably as a whole against Notre Dame. They gave them all sorts of trouble. And so, um, you know, I, I think you, you view those guys, for me at least, McIntosh would be in the third round. Thomas, Chad Thomas, I've got a fourth-round fourth grade, later fourth-round grade. Um, and then Braxton Berrios is – is intriguing to me because because of the punt return ability above above all. I mean, he obviously came on strong this past year. Tough player. He has good hands as a receiver and really good hands as a punt returner. He's just a really natural punt returner. He may not be the most explosive guy, but you trust him. And so I I think I think with Berrios as a slot receiver, probably a number four type receiver in, in the league, and a punt returner, you're you're getting some good value. I would say in the fourth round, you know, maybe maybe he falls to the fifth, but I, I think fourth fifth round range would be would be right around where Barrios winds up going. Okay, Susan, thanks for that. Todd, thank you. We're going to bring in Mel Kuyper, and I do realize there are several of you we have not gotten to, but you're still on my list. We're moving through. So, Mel, welcome. We will have you take a question from Jim Wyatt first. And then after Jim, we'll go to Matt Carter with the Wolfpacker. Mel, appreciate your time. Uh, I know it's tough sure. to project uh, players to teams when you're picking at number 25 like the Titans, but what's the best-case scenario for the Titans at number 25? And I know you've had Harold, Harold Landry uh, with them in, in, in your mock. Is he even there at 25? 
Yeah, I think he could be, and I think he's the one that would, would make sense, although I will say this, he was a little too quiet for my liking this past year. I know he had the minor injury, but uh, you know, two years ago he looked like an elite player and he fell back a little bit, so I think you're whole, hoping he can kind of recreate what we saw from two years ago. I think there's an interesting guy, if you look at the second round, Uchenna Nwoso would be a kid from USC, who I think is going to be maybe the best of this group of, of second-tier guys. Uh, the outside linebacker defensive end spot just has a knack for getting after the quarterback, so I like Nwosu as a, as a second, mid to late second round steal, which is the Titans don't get one in the first day. It's like Dallas Goddard, the tight end from South Dakota State, who I really like. They could come back with Nwosu in round two. We'll go to Matt Carter and then Ben Swanson with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I would want uh, a lot of talk about NC State and their four defensive linemen. Can you talk about the offensive players that might be drafted, specifically Naheem Hines? Jalen Samuels, Will Richardson, and Tony Adams. Yeah, I think of the guys there, I think the, the most intriguing is Hines and Samuels, obviously, with their versatility. I mean, they are both dynamic players. They gave Ryan Finley, who opted to go back for another year, which was a smart move, but he's going to lose two, two key weapons there. And I think the Hines, with his ability to catch so well out of the backfield, return punts, return kicks, uh, you know, and be a guy that can be so versatile and so dynamic, uh, you know, just a guy you want on your football team. Uh, I think he's a third or fourth round type of guy. I think Samuels, more of a fourth round type, could be at the third. Same thing. H-back could be, you know, guys you can use in the backfield running the ball. You can play, put him in the slot. You can do a lot of things with Samuels as well. So the versatility of those two kids kind of helps them and hurts them. There's not a defined role, but when you can do so many things uh, that that Hines can do, it, it makes you a trade. It's kind of like a Deion Lewis type uh, to me. Uh, so I think third, the fifth round for both those guys, Lewis and Samuels, and I think the, the Richardson more of a day three, same thing with Adams. I think you're looking at fifth to seventh round types. Ben Swanson is up, and then Phil Rosenthal with the Chicago Tribune. Mel, with the Broncos releasing C.J. Anderson, how much does that affect your thoughts on uh, the Broncos' draft strategy? I think it's going to be interesting. I think when you look at where are they going to be in terms of the whole running back situation, in terms of how they stack these guys up, Barkley will be gone. I think when you look in the second round, and I think that's where, again, you're thinking about, you know, at pick number 40, you know, would they look at Darius Geis from LSU, Sony Michelle from Georgia, uh, Ronald Jones from USC? I think one of those three, maybe two of those three would still be there possibly. Like I said, maybe one of the three definitely will be there. It's just the way it happens with running backs. If they wait until the third round, maybe Nick Chubb from Georgia. But I think in the second round, if you don't obviously get Barkley, I think Barkley could go number two overall to the Giants. Uh, then you could look second round for one of those backs, which would be really good value for either Sony Michelle, uh, who somebody Todd thought maybe first round for him, Geis, late first, early second, if you got him at 40, or Ronald Jones. Those are three really good backs uh, that would be good second-round choices if they were able to bring them into the fold. Bill Rosenthal and then Andrew Fieldman with the Associated Press. Another provincial kind of question, but what do you see the Bears doing, and to what extent does, especially after what happened last year with, with the, the trading up and, and what Ryan Pace was doing, do the Bears make themselves a little hard to guess sometimes? 
I think they do and they don't. I think the needs of this team are pretty defined. The problem is their wide receiver position is not going to give you anything at eight to really look at. Uh, do they go for a linebacker or guard? Do they take Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, if he's there? Do they take uh, you know, linebacker Roquan Smith from Georgia, uh, knowing that would be a guy that kind of you know, fits the mold of what they've had in the past? Great linebacker players always define the Chicago Bears. And Roquan Smith is one of those distinctive linebackers you'll ever find. And he, to me, is one of the top three or four best players in the draft. So if you can get him at eight, great. Nelson's also one of the best three or four or five players in this draft. But he's a guard. So I value the linebacker over the guard. I would go Roquan Smith there. And then maybe look for an outside linebacker like Uchenna Nwosu from USC uh, at that point. Uh, I think a very underrated linebacker is Fred Warner from BYU in the third to fifth round. Same thing with Marquise Haynes, good pass rusher off the edge at Ole Miss. If you can get him down the road a little bit. So I think if you, if you handle it properly, you can fill these voids and not have to force anything. Like, say, in the first round, taking a guy who's great talent but a little bit of an underachiever in Lorenzo Carter from Georgia. Uh, or if you want to go away from a Harold Landry at that point, uh, you could. But uh, certainly I think the, you know, in the, when you talk about the second round area, if Carter were there or Nwoso, I might lean to Nwoso now. But I think Carter could be gone. So I think that's going to be – I don't know how they have them stacked up on their board. I don't know how they rate those guys. But if a guy like that drops into the second round, that's going to be your debate. Do you take the outside linebacker uh, at that point? Uh, you know, or do you take, you know, say, a wide receiver that's there and there's going to be some good ones sitting there? Anthony Miller from Memphis will probably even be the most underrated receiver still on the board at that point. Andrew Fieldman and then Bill Rabinowitz with the Columbus Dispatch. Yeah, hi, Mel. Um, do you expect Ryan Pace to go the safe route for once this year with that first-round pick, or do you think he has more surprises? Well, there's not a lot of surprises, I think, at eight, just because the players are going to be there. I kind of talked about some of them. Because of the quarterbacks going so early, you're going to be looking at Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, you're going to be looking at, at uh, you know, Derwin James. You're going to be looking at, uh, at Denzel Ward, the three defensive backs. You're going to be looking at Roquan Smith. You're going to be looking at Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker of Virginia Tech. And you're going to be looking at Quentin Nelson. Uh, you know, some of those guys are going to be there. The majority of those guys will be there if those quarterbacks all go. I just think it gets down to Nelson to help out Trubisky with, with negating up the gut pressure, and of course the offensive line coach is there with that familiarity. Then you look at Ro- Roquan Smith with me, with me to that team in terms of the second line of defense, be the centerpiece of that defense. Uh, either the middle linebacker, you can play anywhere, but his versatility to be an every-down guy, to be a real centerpiece, as I say, a focal point of your defense is key. I would go Roquan Smith, but you've got to believe Quentin Nelson's heavily in the discussion, because you want to help out your young quarterback, and the worst thing for quarterbacks is up-the-gut pressure. And you got these Aaron Donald types that can just explode into the backfield, and and wreck a play before it even starts. And now when you get a Nelson, all of a sudden that will help Trubisky. So I think for Ryan Pace, that's going to be the debate. Do we help our young quarterback, or do we get the, they say, the, the key entity, the centerpiece of possibly of our defense for the next uh, five to ten years? Bill Rabinowitz, and then Ricky LeBlou with Tech Sideline. I'm out. Which Ohio State players are rising up the charts or maybe falling down the charts? That's a good question. I think you know, Jerome Baker is interesting because I thought he'd be a solid two. He's maybe more of a three-four now. Your linebacker there. I think Tyquan Lewis has risen. Uh, I think Sam Hubbard has dropped a little bit. So while Hubbard's come back to the pack, come back from the late one, maybe a two-three. Uh, Lewis has gone from a three-four to a two. So I think uh, you know, that's a little bit of a switch there. So Lewis up with the arrow up, Hubbard with the arrow pointing down a bit. Denzel Ward's arrow has been pointing up all year. He's going to go top five to seven. You know that, the cornerback. Um, so I would say that's the way I would you know, talk about in terms of guys moving up and down. I would highlight more the defensive line. Holmes didn't really solidify a high grade like I thought was possible either. 
So the defensive end, Jalen Holmes, could drop just a bit as well. Ricky LeBlue, and then Jessica Town with Pro Sports Notes. out to you guys that are more day two, day three guys that you feel like have a lot of potential in this league? Well, I think in day two, and I've had to highlight a lot of these guys over the last couple of weeks, but Breland Speaks is a defensive lineman from Ole Miss, who when you look at all the other defensive linemen, it's a very, very subpar year for defensive ends. He played that very effectively late in the year. You go back to the LSU, the Texas A&M game, the Mississippi State game, he was dynamic. 6'3", 283-pounder with long arms, runs well quick, athletic. Uh, you know, didn't have a lot of production up until this year. Went from one sack to seven sacks, from 28 tackles to 61 tackles. But really like Breland Speaks from Ole Miss as a second or third round pick. I've talked about Anthony Miller, the wide receiver from Memphis a lot. Love his production. Love his chip on his shoulder because he was a former walk-on. You know, he's got everything you take. A route running, a block. He, he, he tracks the deep ball very effectively. So I would say the most underrated offensive player is Anthony Miller from Memphis, the wide receiver. And the most underrated defensive player would be Breland Speaks, the defensive and or tackle from Ole Miss. Jessica Town and then Jonathan LeBlanc with the State News. Hi, Mel. So all, all kind of arrows sort of indicate here uh, in the beginning that the Eagles were going to go defense uh, in the first kind of early draft of the mock draft here. Um, but then they made a lot of moves kind of moving towards bringing in some players on the defense with trades and, and free agency acquisitions. So now all, all sources kind of indicate that they're going to go offense. And their highest interest right now uh, is with LSU running back Darius Geis. And, you know, they met with him yesterday even for the third or fourth time so far. Do you think he'll still be there for them to take him at 32? And, you know, how do you think his style of play would translate in the NFL, more specifically in the Eagles' style of offense? It's interesting you bring up the guys. That's who I gave them in my grade A. And the grade A draft that Todd and I did the last week was if we were picking for each team, what would give them a, a grade? And I gave Darius guys to Philadelphia just because of, you no know, look, Eric Blunt, he runs hard, he's downhill. He had to deal with a lot of stacked boxes uh, in terms of, uh, you know, defenses, alignment, uh, you know, trying to just handle him because they obviously didn't have a great passing game during his career there. Uh, and he still had big-time yards and a nice average per carry, uh, even though he's banged up a little this year. He's a hard-nosed kid. Uh, I think he'd be a, a you know, he'd, be right in line with what they need and what they've had. So and give them that, that uh, stable of running backs that they had now Blunt's gone. So uh, I think the you know, guys made sense to me. And then you come back, I mean, if after that particular pick, you don't have the, you know, that uh, late second round pick. And then you, got, you, know, you have to make some decisions after that what direction you want to go. But uh, you have to nail that first round pick and get a running back like Darius Geis, who's at worst an early to mid two. And, and like I say, could be in that late first round discussion for the Eagles. That's who I thought would be a, a real nice pick at that point. Jonathan LeBlanc, and then Jared Lloyd with the Provo Daily Herald. Um, where do you kind of see any of the five Michigan State guys, if any of them at all, going late in the draft? And how do you see, see some maybe some of the games translate to the NFL? Well, I guess not a lot. To really, so most of those guys are, like I say, in that uh, late round category. So there's nobody that really jumps out and says, you know, that they're going to be, you know, first, uh, you know, two day type of pick. I just never materialized that way. Brian Allen, the centers, more than likely a late rounder, uh, you know, priority free agent. Uh, there's not a lot. Uh, it's just it's a year where it just didn't flow that way. Next year you'll have several, as you know. But uh, this year, nobody, I think, is uh, guaranteed a draft choice. Jared Lloyd, and then Alex Smith with Cox Media Group. 
Mel, you mentioned Fred Warner from BYU. Wanted to get your thoughts on him and also any other BYU guys you think might have a chance of being drafted. And then the other question I had was just, does having a bad season like BYU had last year impact the potential draft prospects for any of the BYU guys? No, I don't think, I think with Warner, I, I just had him, I circle his name a lot. When you watch games, I just always try to keep notes each Saturday who's getting your attention, and he was a guy that really did. He tested pretty well, and uh, yeah, he just is an everyday linebacker. Uh, I like the fact that, uh, you know, you can you get him, he's plug and play, he's smart, uh, he's versatile. So, again, this draft, there's not a lot of good linebackers. That's the one thing you look at. You're looking for somebody who has that kind of all-around talent that Warner did and then test the way he did as well. I, I'd take him in the third, fourth round very easily, and I think uh, when you look at some of these other linebackers that may go ahead of him, he could be as could be better once he's in the league. I talked about Nuoso from USC being underrated. Warner is as well. Uh, you know, he's got the arrow pointing up. I think he's going to go. If he went late second, early third, it wouldn't surprise me. Alex Smith and then Alex Byington with the Decatur Daily. Mel, curious to get your thoughts on uh, what teams are thinking about Florida wide out. Antonio Callaway, I know late last week there was another report that maybe some more red flags had come up. I just want to know what you're, what you're hearing. It's a hard call. I, I mean, Antonio Callaway on talent is a first-round draft choice. He entered the year as one of the elite 15 best players on any position possibly that were draft eligible. So, uh, yeah, it's just like you say, the off-the-field concerns are what's going to be impacting him. We saw what happened with some players over the years that have been pushed down. And, you know, once the, the light goes on, they mature and they, you know, the, they put that in the past and they move on, they can evolve and develop. So, uh, you know, I don't, at least like first-round talent, some people thought second or third round uh, over the last couple say month or two, uh, it's hard to, it's, that's an individual team's got to make that call and that's what they're all assessing now uh, you know, I'd say the second round is probably a little high for me uh, I think when you get into the fourth, fifth round area that's when you start thinking about Antonio Callaway so that's what I would do, but I, I can't speak for them, and if I want talent, if you're going to talk talent, he's a first round pick Alex Byington and then Robert Gagliardi with the Laramie Boomerang Go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry. I'll mute. Uh, two questions, Mel. Um, Rashawn sure. is a guy that, you know, in the first round, he can kind of go anywhere from possibly, you know, 15-ish to maybe even, you know, latter part of the first round. Um, some speculation falling out. What? Why do you see that discrepancy there from him? Well, with Evans, I think the fact he's had the, uh, the has the versatility uh, to play inside or outside, uh, you know, defining role. That same thing with Minka Fitzpatrick. Great versatility leads to people, you know, figuring out how we fit him into our defensive structure. I thought he'd be good for Dallas because of Sean Lee's injury history. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh obviously at 28 would be a real good fit as an inside backer. They need that with uh, Ryan Shazier's injury status and how that defense fell back when he was hurt. So I think if he gets down to 28 and the, and the Steelers, that would be a great fit. For Evans, and if he can stay healthy and durability is the concern, but if he can stay healthy uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he would be a great addition because he can you know, he can be an inside guy. You can put him outside in pass rush situations, and they lack pass rush. He can rush from the inside. Remember, in that game against Jacksonville, they had no pass rush on Bortles, and yeah, he would help you there big time. They got the help from Watt last year in the draft. He tailed off a little late, but now you add Evans. That's a, a big time need inside and outside. He can wear a couple hats there. So I would say if I'm looking at the best scenario for Rashawn Evans, uh, you know. From a team perspective, the best fit would be the Steelers at 28. Robert Gagliardi and then Austin Fox with the Wolverine. 
Mel, I know you've been high on, on Josh Allen for, since day one. I imagine has, has anything changed there, and and where do you see maybe his uh, his best fit could be in the NFL? And, and last thing, do you have any other Wyoming players possibly on your draft board, late rounds, or even uh, uh, high priority free agents? Yeah, for for Allen, you know, I think the Cleveland Browns would be a really good scenario just because of having Tyrod Taylor and having John Dorsey as the GM and with Hugh Jackson, so I've done well with quarterbacks over the years, but and having the, the, uh, Jarvis Landry there to, to guide these young receivers, and, and they would drop a ton of balls last year, tight end the Jen Joku, the rookie, Corey Coleman, others, just too many drops, and I think with Landry, he's going to show them what it takes to be a professional, consistent player, and for Allen, uh, he's the remarkable progress he's made with Jordan Palmer, the difference maker he was at Wyoming. You guys know that uh, they were 15-33 and 33 before he became the starter and uh, two great, really good years when he's out for two games with a shoulder injury. They lose both games, one to San Jose State, who was a bad football team this year, and he comes back and they beat Central Michigan. And uh, he's a great kid. He, he's, he takes the coaching and uh, he's got elite, super elite, rare talent in terms of size, arm strength, athleticism, all that working together. Uh, you coach him properly, he could be spectacular. I, I've compared him to Matthew Stafford, Brett Favre, and I think those uh, the Matthew Stafford comparison I started with three, four months ago, and people started to use that as well. I just see, and I remember Stafford had his critics too, because he was only at 57% coming out of Georgia. You know, people say, ah, you know, he should be a second round pick. He's, he's only he's a thrower, not a pitcher. I heard the same things about, about the Matthew Stafford when he went number one, and he he should have gone number one. He's had a heck of a pro career, and he's been at 66% uh, the last three years in the NFL. So this notion is if you don't complete 60 in college, you can't in the NFL. I can give you tons of examples of guys. Even back in the day, when they, when they threw the ball 25 times a game, they say that doesn't matter. Well, Josh Allen didn't throw the ball that much. I mean, you look 32 attempts or more in just one game the last two years. I was against Iowa. Most of the time, he was around 25, 26 attempts a game. So he wasn't throwing it 40-plus times a game. He was doing it with the, the quarterbacks did back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, just getting his 22 to 28 uh, attempts a game. That's why with no layups, his completion percentage wasn't 62, 63%. Austin Fox and then Charlie Potter with 247 Sports. Obviously, uh, Mo Hurst and Mason Cole are going to get drafted out of Michigan, but what other Michigan players do you think will get picked? Well, there you go. Hi. I mean, I think, you know, Hurst could be, you know, a late one, early two. I think Cole right now probably a third round pick, uh, maybe a fourth round pick. If I had to say for other guys, the ones that, you know, you say, okay, who jumps out early? Really nobody in particular in terms of the early portion of the draft, uh, outside of those two. And then after that, uh, there's pretty much just all later round guys. I mean, I, I don't see anybody that has more than a late round free agent, a Kugler, the center. There's, there's nobody that after that group of, of those two players that has anything higher than a six Seventh round grade. Charlie Potter and then Chad Bishop with WBI WBKO TV. Uh, you mentioned him briefly earlier, but what does Mika Fitzpatrick bring to an NFL team from a versatility aspect? Well, it's good and it's bad. He's, he's, he can play anywhere, uh, but will he be great at one spot in the NFL? He's so smart, and he, he's done a great job under Nick Saban there, being the key difference maker, playmaker in that secondary. Uh, yeah, corner safety, yeah, he's done it all. Slot corner, he's done everything. Uh, and all he does is continuously make plays. So uh, I think, But you, know, you have the true safety in Derwin James from Florida State, and you have a true cover corner in Denzel Ward. You know what they are. With Minka, you can say, okay, can he define a role, and can he be great at that one spot? Are we going to move him around? How are you going to utilize him, and I think the defensive coordinators with these individual teams are going to have to make that call. He'll probably be there for the 49ers at 9. That, I think, would be a great spot for him. All right. We will go to 
Chad Bishop, and then Greg Ostendorf with Auburn Tigers. And it does look like Chad has disconnected. All right. We'll go to Greg Ostendorf with Auburn Tigers, followed by Michael Casagrande at AL.com. I know you've touched on quite a few Auburn guys. Is there a sleeper from that group that could be taken late or a guy that's maybe flying under the radar? Well, I don't know about flying under the radar. I don't think anybody right now would be in that category of being a guy that's going to go, you know, and, and nobody's going to know much about. I think if you look at the guys we talked about that are going to go early, uh, you know, and who could be the stars of this group. I think Cameron Petway, you know, two years ago, last year, was talked about as an early-round pick. Now he's a later-round possibility. But, you know, if you know what you're getting with Petway, I remember Garrett Blunt won undrafted coming out of Oregon. Look at the kind of career he had. So I think Petway will be interesting to see what happens with him. Carry on Johnson. How high does he go? I, I think he could go third or fourth round, but running backs historically always drop down, you know, further than they should. And we know Carlton Davis, the corner, there's some mixed opinion on Carlton Davis. I've thought second round all along, but I he keep hearing third round. So I think he's in that next tier of defensive backs, not the elite tier to say first round, even though he has the great length. So I would say for him, uh, maybe third, fourth round. I like Braden Smith. I think Braden Smith's the most underrated of this group, the guard. I, I just like the way he tested, the way he played. I think you get into the third round for Braden Smith, you got to plug and play starter as a rookie. Michael Casagrande, followed by Aaron McMahon with MLive.com. Uh, yes, Mel, there's a lot of talk about teams being concerned with players who have outside interests. Uh, how do you think teams react to a player who's very religious and says football isn't you know, the most, interest, most important thing in their lives? Well, that varies. I mean, that's going to be up to 32 teams with 32 different outlooks in the way they, they look at players and the answers that they give. You can take an answer and a comment of a player, and, and some will take it and spend it negatively or positively. Uh, you know, I think in terms of it, everybody has different interests, and everybody has different priorities. And, you know, some of them great and Hall of Famers that, that don't say that football is number one. I mean, you can't say everybody has to say football is number one in my life over everything. So I think, you know, you have to have, you know, you know the ability to evaluate players and talk to the players and gauge their level of interest. Certainly you want football to be important. It has to be something. And a lot of players will say things that turn out to be just because they're saying them, because they know they're being interviewed and they're coached up to say certain things. So you've got to be really careful with all those types of things and do your due diligence, talk to coaches, talk to former players, teammates, and, and, and high school coaches and do everything you can do. That's what everybody does. But to just say because of a comment here or there that this is going to define where that player goes or how he should be rated, I think, is, in, is just not the way I would look at it. We'll go to Aaron McMahon, and then I'll revisit a question from Ricky LeBlou. Mel, two-part Michigan question for you. Um, what's your latest read on Mo Hurst and how he's maybe rebounded in terms of the eyes of maybe NFL front office personnel with regards to the EKG at the combine? And then secondly, uh, Mike McCray, linebacker. Is he a late-round prospect in your eyes? Yeah. Yeah, he would be. I think McCray would be. Uh, a couple guys, I didn't see anything. I have a fifth, sixth round grade on him. Uh, you know, first I have a second round grade on. Based on when you look at the three technique and you say, okay, he defines what he is. He, you know what he is. There are certain teams you're going to want him. Uh, that inside one gap penetrator, that's what he is. He can get into that backfield. I, I thought he was a borderline first all along. Some thought he was more defined, number one, never thought that. So I'd say late one, early two uh, for Maurice Hurst. Uh, but 
but you know he's a guy that is not many four three defensive tackles in this draft. A lot of them are nose tackles. If you want, you know, Taven Bryan's an upfield guy and can, can do exactly what what Hurst can do as well out of Florida. So I think Hurst in the late one, early two is going to have a, a role to be an immediate starter. Now, there's no question. If you draft Maurice Hurst, you're going to say, okay, he's plugging, he's filling a void, he's going to plug in to our defensive line at exactly what we know he is. So we're going to talk about some of these other guys that have the versatility and we don't know that, what their defined role is. You know exactly what Maurice Hurst is. I think ultimately uh, that will be a benefit to the team that drafts and They know exactly what they're getting. Okay, I'm going to read something, and then we'll go to Tim Benz with the Pittsburgh Tribune Live. So I think the microphone got cut off. So Ricky LeBlue-Mel is looking for your thoughts on Virginia Tech's day two and day three prospects. Well, I think you look at the, at the day two, and I think that's where you could see maybe you know two or three players fall into that category. I think Edmonds, the safety, I think could be a guy who drops into the, maybe the fourth, fifth round area uh, and goes at that point. He's not going to be the guy comes in like you know his brother and plays right away, and I think does a great job immediately. I think it's going to take some time for him. So while you got you know Tremaine Edmonds going maybe top ten to fifteen, uh, I think Terrell Edmonds goes maybe like say fourth or fifth round. Greg. Roman, the cornerback, same type of thing. Uh, I think he's got some coverage skills. He has some versatility as well. I think he could go in that fourth or fifth round discussion. Brandon Faison, the corner, maybe late. Uh, Tim Settle, I have a third, fourth round grade. I liked him in certain games. Other games, I was a little underwhelmed, but I thought at his best, uh, he's a guy, can be a guy, can help you with his big body and his quickness inside. So I like Settle as a third, fourth round guy. Uh, like I said, I think Edmonds, more of a fourth round guy. Safety Cam Phillips received more of a fourth, a fifth rounder, and Wyatt Teller, uh, the guard, I think could be in that fourth, fifth round discussion as well. So you got a lot of those guys are going to be early to, I'd say early day three types is what I would view. Like to say, Edmonds, Settle, Stroman, Teller, Phillips. I would view all those guys as early day three picks. With Tremaine Edmonds being the obviously the elite guy, and he could go anywhere between say you know seven, eight, and, and twelve, thirteen in that area. Tim Benz, and then Sam Hellman with 247 Sports. Hi, Mel. I had a question for you about the uh, inside linebackers. Of that group of four to five really good inside linebackers, Mm -hmm. what's the likelihood? Who do you definitely see being gone by the time Pittsburgh takes at 28, and who might still be there from that pack? And kind of a similar question in round two for the running backs. I heard you rattle off some guys at the top of round two, but who might be there at the bottom of round two for Pittsburgh? Yeah, I had him actually looking at uh, at Nick Chubb or Rashad Penny when I did the uh, the grade A. So I think it ended up being Penny. I moved Chubb up. So maybe Nick Chubb's there. If Nick Chubb's there, that's a really good pick for the Steelers at that point. And then one of the inside linebackers, Rashad Evans could maybe, uh, because Dallas has that big need at wide receiver now, uh, they could go for DJ Moore, Maryland, or Calvin Ridley, Alabama, which could push Evans down just a bit. So I think the Roquan is going to be long gone. Tremaine Evans is going to be long gone. Rashad Evans could be there. Leighton Vanderish from Boise. He stayed, could be there, tested great, was okay. I thought he was that decent tape, good tape. Uh, I wasn't uh, you know, wowed over to say he's up in that top to 10 to 15 or top 20 of the first round guaranteed, but he's certainly in the late first, early to mid-second round category, so he would fill a void as well as an inside backer. So I think Evans would be my pick over Van Der Esch. I like Evans better, but if, Van Der Esch, if Evans is gone, you would look at Leighton Van Der Esch from, uh, from uh, Boise State. And if you're looking from guys from the third, fourth round, it could be interesting for the Steelers at the inside line. Oren Burks, Vanderbilt, uh, Micah Kaiser, Virginia, uh, Josie Jewell, Iowa, Jannard Avery, Memphis. I think there's some decent third, fourth round type inside linebackers as well. 
Sam Hellman, and then Davis Potter with the Oxford Eagle. Hi, Mel. Your uh, your thoughts on Kamoko Saray from Rutgers, and I guess just the challenge of evaluating a guy that's so athletic, but you know there isn't five years, four years of film there on him. Yeah, yeah. And well, but you can see even at Senior Bowl practices, you saw him in games, you know, flash and and test well, which you knew he would. When you look at, the, I say, what's going to help him is there aren't many outside linebackers of consequence. There might only be one, possibly two, in the first round. That's it, and that's pushing it. There's going to be a few second rounders. I could see him coming off the board in the third, fourth round just because this is the year. If you're going to be a third, fourth round linebacker, like I say, was still raw, this would be the year. Normally, you'd be looking fifth to seventh round, but in this year, uh, just because of potential alone and the talent and the way the coaching could be a uh, you know a big difference maker with Ture because he has the uh, the ability. If you have the talent and the, and the potential down the road, you're going to at that third, fourth round when everybody else is looking at very questionable prospects because that's what you have at linebacker in this draft. Uh, he could be interesting. Davis Potter and then Lauren Shute with SEC Country. So what your, what's your evaluation of Marquise Haynes and Jordan Wilkins uh, as prospects from Ole Miss? And also, I heard you mention earlier the versatility uh, of Freeland Speaks. Do you see him as more of a three technique in the NFL or more as, a, as an end? Yeah, I think I'll get to speak to this. I think Haynes, what he flashed a couple of years ago was that outside pass rush ability. He didn't kind of pick up on that and keep, you know, moving up the board. Uh, but I think when you look at him as an early day three guy, maybe late day two, uh, you know, rushing the pass was something everybody wants. And Haynes has shown that capability when he's been at his best. Wilkins, as a later round running back, I think can play in this league and get the job done. I think speaks to me with, you know, I thought he was better, you know, as a guy you can put as a 3-4 end, a 4-3 possibly, but I think as a 3-4 end, an inside guy, a, you know, three technique, he can do that. He's just so quick and gets upfield so easily. And he's got enormous upside. He was productive when he moved outside. He, he, he can do anything you want. And I, I look at underrated players and I look at the defensive lineman. He is the most underrated. And he's the guy I'm most excited about. When you get the production to match the talent, and that's what he showed. He didn't know what his talent would be in terms of computer numbers. We found that at the combine, and he tested great. So, to me, production this year, one year now, it's only one year production. He said one sack, now seven sacks this year. Um, but, you know, I'll roll the dice with a Breland Speaks in the second or third round. Lauren Shute, and then Matt Lombardo with the Star Ledger. Hey, Mel. Um, I was wondering if you could touch on a couple of Auburn guys that haven't been talked about very much. Uh, sure. Trey Williams, Trey Matthews, and Stephen Roberts. Yeah, I think all of those guys are later round type picks. I mean, you look at, at where they are right now in terms of, of grades and if the process is just about concluded, like I said, I'd say fifth to seventh round uh, is where I would project them. Uh, you look at the ability to make plays from, you know, from inside, they can do that. Uh, you know, you're talking about a guy, uh, you know, in the Matthews that showed capability to be at one point maybe a third, fourth round pick. I said I have a fifth, sixth round grade on him right now. Uh, you know, same thing with Williams. Uh, yeah, I think you look at where these kids could be in the NFL backup type special teamers, same thing with Roberts. Uh, so I, starters, I think, is pushing it a bit, but uh, they can push their way on an NFL roster. I think all three have that capability, but more backup types and more special teams type players. Matt Lombardo and then Paula Pash with the Oakland Press. And it does look like Matt has disconnected. Okay, we'll go to Paula Pash with the Oakland Press. And Paula has disconnected as well. All right, let's try Christopher Walsh with SEC Country. 
Go ahead, Sorry. Christopher. My apologies. I was listening in. Um, Mel, uh, a guy who spent the end of last year heard Shondi and Hamilton for Alabama. What kind of team would be a good fit for him? Well, I liked a lot of what he showed early on. And I think when you, you go back, I actually wrote him up on ESPN.com uh, early in the year. Uh, I thought he was excellent. Florida State game in particular, uh, you know, he was all over the field. I mean, yeah, you like, like his all-around game. He read react ability is good. Uh, he has pretty good speed to the football on game day. How he breaks down pretty well to make tackles in space, brings occasional pressure on the quarterback. Uh, yeah, just a smart kid. Uh, you know, yeah, to me, you know, he can play. I mean, uh, you know, as a starting linebacker in this league. So I, I liked what I saw of him. Uh, he gets pushed down just a bit, but you get into day three again. There's a guy that can help you, and, and normally you would have been thinking about him earlier than he's going to go. So I always like guys like that that showed that capability to be early round, or let's say a two or three rounds earlier than they're going to go. That to me is a come draft day. So if you can get him on day three, you got yourself a guy I think could push for a starting job. We'll go to Gene Frenette with the Florida Times Union and then Dwayne Rankin with the Montgomery Advertiser. A little bit of how, how difficult it is for uh, NFL teams, and the Jaguars have done it, certainly with the Yannick and Gokwe, to get a pass rusher who, who just becomes extraordinary, you know, late in the draft, third round, fourth round, fifth round. And as a follow-up to that, could you just talk about uh, how much the Jaguars in the last four years have totally transformed their team, getting about eight starters right now just through the draft alone? Yeah, the defense has been the key, and then and adding those guys you mentioned, Gakwe out of Maryland, saw him a lot here, and being in the, in the Maryland area, and I've certainly, uh, you know, we've got to be happy with the, the progress he's made and the ability he showed. But he did that in college, and I think you look at a kid like Kentavia Street at, at NC State could be that type of player this year as a third, fourth round guy. Uh, Josh Sweat at Florida State could be another guy at that particular point uh, to look at. So I think Street from NC State and Sweat from Florida State, uh, and then Arden Key is kind of a wild card. He was a kid was projected to be a first-round pick back in August. He could be there in the third or fourth round out of LSU. And, uh, you know, if you can get him to be a little more complete with his game, he's kind of one-dimensional right now, uh, needs some coaching, I think Arden Key could be a factor. But I'd go to Contavia Street from NC State, who played opposite Bradley Chubb and that great defensive front for NC State and had a good all-star game. I think uh, he tests, he's always going to test well. He's got a lot of talent. Uh, even in the third, fourth round, he could be this year's uh, Ngakwe would be Contavia Street. Dwayne Rankin, and then Kareem Copeland with the Washington Post. Yes, man, just a follow-up on Carlton Davis. Um, and obviously, you know, has size, but, uh, you know, he, his hands, I thought he dropped quite a few potential right. interception opportunities beyond his career. Uh, what's the pros and, and cons beyond that that you see could impact whether he goes late first or, you know, drops the day to I don't think he'll go in the first. I think he's going to go in that second, third round. I have him down right now as maybe the anywhere between the same grade as the eighth to a twelfth best corner. He has the length. He certainly flashed. You mentioned what he needs to work on. Sometimes that never changes. But uh, once you even get into the league, but that, that's the reason why instead of being more of a late one or early two, he probably will get pushed down a bit. Uh, but he's got talent. As he's got the length. And that's a rarity from these a lot of these corners. You don't see that. But you know, if you can get him, I thought at one point he could be a late one, but he just never materialized into that type of prospect, but late two, early to mid three is where I think he would come off the board. Colleen Copeland, and then Steve Batterson with Quad City Times. Hey, Mel. Um, 
what stands out when, to you when you look at the Redskins, particularly in the first two rounds? They could go a lot of different red, uh, directions yep. between um, a lot of defensive spots and running back also in the mix. And with so many quarterbacks going earlier, some guys might get pushed down. So what stands out to you when you look at where the Redskins could possibly go? Yeah, 13, I think the defensive line, particularly up front on the defense, the defensive that nose tackle, and you have Jonathan Allen coming back from the injury, which is a big plus. As a, a guy who's going to be a huge factor on that defensive line. But if you can add a, a nose tackle like Deron Payne from Alabama or a Vita Vea from Washington, I think both those kids could be there. They just have to determine which one they like. I know Todd thinks Vea could maybe be gone by 13. I don't know uh, yeah, if he'll be there at 13. If he's not, Payne will be there. One of those two will be there and maybe both. Uh, so I think they fit what the Redskins are doing. And I think you look at the running back spot, if they could come back uh, in, in round two and get, say, Sony Michelle from Georgia at that point, or a Ronald Jones from USC, or Darius Geis, one of those three will be there in the second round. So I think if it went Vea or Payne with the first round pick, and one of those three running backs I mentioned with the second round pick, I think the Redskins fans would have to be pretty happy. Steve Batterson, and then Ryan O'Halloran with the Florida Times Union. I'd be interested in, in your evaluation of a couple of Iowa guys who, who came out early. Um, uh, James Daniels at center and, and obviously uh, ja- Josh Jackson, uh, the cornerback. Well, yeah, Daniels, to me, whenever he, he's a full strength, he's a dominant player. And he'll have Kirk Ferentz and the ability to produce Iowa offensive linemen to go on and have success. Uh, James Daniels can do that. He can be a center, can be a guard. Uh, I think he's a late one. I think he goes between 20, 22, 23, and 32, somewhere in that area. Uh, I talked earlier in terms of, uh, of where these guys are going to go. Right now, needs are going to define that based on what happened in free agency. So some of that has changed over the last month, month and a half. Uh, but late one is still a distinct possibility for him and Josh Jackson there's some mixed opinion on it. he's got the length obviously had the production uh, you know where does he fit the best in terms of a team Seattle likes the longer corners uh, that could be a possibility at 18 I thought Jair Alexander from Louisville would be in the discussion there um, some people think Arizona you know we'll see I didn't think necessarily that at 15 I thought that was a little high but you know, Todd thought maybe 13 at one point and at, on that 14 to 15 range Green Bay needs a corner Arizona needs a corner at 15 Seattle at 18. So there's some spots if you like, depends if you like Jair Alexander or you like Josh Jackson or Dante Jackson from LSU, Mike Hughes, Central Florida. I think the competition for Josh Jackson right now is more Jair Alexander from Louisville. I think he could go ahead of Josh Jackson, which would push Josh into a, a, in a position where he'll be competing with Dante Jackson, like I say, LSU, and Mike Hughes from Central Florida to see who would be the next cornerback to come off the board. Ryan O'Halloran, and then Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. Hey, Mel, after D.J. Moore and Calvin Ridley, who are your next couple of receivers that will be available uh, late first round, maybe early second? Well, I think they'll all be there in the late first. I think the only two first-rounders are Ridley and Moore, and I think you're going to get them at a great point in the first round where normally, I mean, Ridley's a good player. I mean, Ridley just didn't have a quarterback to get him the ball on a consistent basis, and he had the 31 vertical. Uh, so I think people will push him down a bit, but I think he's going to be better than the three receivers went in the top ten last year. Same thing for D.J. Moore. Great year with four different quarterbacks. Then he tests off the charts with the broad jump and the, and the uh, vertical jump, which was in a, the elite category. So when you put that all together, if you can get Ridley 
Ridley and more for Dallas, say, at 19, or somebody in the late first, like Atlanta, say. It could be a team in New Orleans. Any of those teams could use a receiver of that quality and caliber. So those two go first round, I think, guaranteed. Then Anthony Miller, Memphis, the most underrated. I think Cortland Sutton's hit or miss from SMU. Same thing with DJ Chark, LSU. He had the great senior bowl week, great combine. He's more of a body catcher. I want to see that change a little bit once he's in the NFL. Dante Pettis, Washington, also has the return skills. Christian Kirk from A&M is a slot guy. Jordan Lastly, UCLA had a great year. Uh, if you can harness that talent, he could be a good third-round pick. I think, uh, you know, we talked about underrated guys. I think uh, Traquan Smith, a kid that when you look at where he'll go, you know, coming out of Central Florida, maybe third or fourth round. I think it'd be a good pick at that point. So that's some of the guys, but I think the most underrated of the entire group is Anthony Miller from Memphis. Go back to the UCLA game and watch him. Uh, the production the last two years, former walk-on, he's got a great attitude. I think he's the kind of kid in the second round is going to be a really nice pick for somebody. Dave Burkett and then Rob Gray with Cyclone Fanatic. Hey, Mel, uh, two questions about local guys up here in Michigan. Uh, Darius Phillips, the the return man, cornerback from Western. What, what do you see his future as in the NFL? And then I don't know if you see much of Zach Siler, the, the Ferris State kid that left early. Just kind of unusual for somebody from that level to leave school early. What uh, would you see on, on tape from him? If you, if yeah, you I, I thought Phillips, and then I had written him up. You go back and you can find the write-up on ESPN.com from during the year. I thought he had a chance to be maybe a third, fourth-round guy. And you know, people say, well, you know, he's falling back. And if you can get him. I am still on the line. I think we might have lost Mel. Um, Celestina, can you hear me? Yes, we are dialing out to Mel now. Okay. Everyone can just hang tight a minute. I apologize for the delay. And Mel is back on. Yeah, I was talking about, sorry, I got cut off. Darius Phillips, the corner from Western Michigan. Like I said, you go back to the Michigan State game. He was outstanding in that game. And that, that's where you get the Mid-American Conference against the Big Ten team. And he's got the interception. He's forcing a fumble. Uh, he's doing some real good things in the return game uh, for a touchdown there. He had pass breakups. He did it all. Uh, so I think if you look at that game, you're thinking third round. And I think you look at the special teams ability is going to be a plus. I think he's an underrated day three type of guy. So I would say, uh, you know, Darius Phillips, I would give uh, you know, I would uh, I would say uh, applaud the picking is a great choice, but I think he's got a chance to make a team and, and be a contributor right away on special teams with his return ability and help you out as a as a nickel dime back uh, as a rookie second year player. Rob Gray and then Bob McManaman with the Arizona Republic. Hi Mel, I uh, wanted to check back in post combine on Alan Lazard, an Iowa State standout uh, who ran I think better than maybe some people thought in the forty and. Also, uh, Joel Lane's uh, pro day results, maybe how that impacted his possibility of being drafted. Yeah, Lazard, you, you, know, you don't have many guys that are 6'4 and a half, 225 pounds that have the length he does. Um, he ran well. 4'5'5 five, five for his size is good. A strong kid, very athletic with almost a 40-38 vertical. Um, that's impressive. He had a good senior bowl week. He's the kind of kid that you get into that third, fourth round as a kind of an Alshon Jeffrey type player uh, once he's in the league. Um, I think uh, that would be a, a guy that has definitely helped himself uh, over the last uh, you know, two, three months. Uh, his stock has risen. Lanning, former quarterback. I love the way he played. Uh, he's the kind of guy you, like we talked about with other players, the guys you want on your team in a backup role, a special teams guy, reserve, but a guy that brings the right attitude, right approach. Uh, I think he's a you know, draftable, which you never thought when the season began. That he could be in the, actually the draftable category, but it wouldn't shock me if he was a sixth or seventh round pick. 
Bob McManaman, and then Javon Moore with FI360 News. Hey, Mel, we're, we're hearing all this about quarterbacks to be five, I mean, possibly six going this year. Uh, you look at the <clears throat> league, the turnover of quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks, where almost a third of the league changes starters every year. Can, can we really be sure about this draft class is going to be 1983-ish? How do you grade it? What do you really think about it? Well, I think in 83, you know, you had six and three hit. And one was okay. Ken O'Brien did a pretty good job as well. Um, and then you had Todd Blackledge didn't develop, and certainly you know, Tony Eason was okay. So you had three Hall of Famers out of that group. In 2004, you had three going to top ten, all of which are outstanding. You had a couple Hall of Famers out of that group. With Ross Spin Manning's got two Super Bowl rings, took out Tom Brady twice in Super Bowl. So Eli with his two Super Bowl rings, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, a couple Super Bowl rings, and then you got Philip Rivers. Rivers has had a successful career, even though he hasn't been the big-time winner uh, in terms of Super Bowls. He's a, he's a heck of a quarterback. So all three were excellent for where they were picked, and none of them were busts. When a lot of people kept trying to figure out which one of those three or two of those three would be busts, none of them were. Uh, in this case, I think you know Mayfield, Baker Mayfield has risen the most. If you'd have talked to me in August, I'd have said third or fourth round. And now you're talking the rarefied era of the top ten. So you know, you're way up there now with Baker Mayfield. Rosen's always been up there. Darnold's been always been up there, and Josh Allen's always been up there. So those three, kind of everybody said they fell back so much. Darnold didn't play nearly as well as he did two years ago. Josh had the injury late, Allen did, then came back for the Central Michigan game. Josh Rosen was injured late, second straight year with injury, shoulder last year, concussion this year. Then you have Lamar Jackson, who's done everything the, the show that the NFL, that I'm a quarterback. He didn't want to be a receiver. That's why he didn't run the 40 and didn't test at wide receiver. But he had a decent pro day, had a good year, considering he lost some key receivers in his top running back. He's going to go in the first round, and, and you have Mason and Rudolph, Oklahoma State, and Luke Falk, I think, is the most underrated. For all the pass attempts, he had to complete almost 70% of his passes. And he had a great touchdown-interception ratio, and he had the injury this year, which he played through. Doesn't have elite arm strength, not a top athlete, but he's kind of like Brady was was coming out, where he can manipulate in the pocket, maneuver in the pocket. He understands you know, what it takes to play this game at a high level from a cerebral standpoint. I like Luke Falk in the second, third round, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots took him. So I think there's some depth at quarterback. I think Chase Litton for Marshall's an underrated guy. Had another year at Marshall. Would have been a, probably a two. Now he's a three-four. Kyle Law led if his arm was a little stronger out of Richmond. Would be a guaranteed two. Now he's probably a three or four. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of quarterbacks. Some of these quarterbacks that are on the second tier will play in the NFL as a starter, have a chance to be a starter. The, the guys at the top, hey, I would bet on Allen and Darnold. Rosen... And, and Mayfield would be in that next tier for me. So I'm, I'm Allen, Darnold, and then a little drop off to Rosen, and a little drop off to Mayfield, and then to Jackson. Javon Moore, and then Josh Kendall with the State Newspaper. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about UCLA linebacker Kenny Young. Do you think he'd be a nice little uh, jewel to somebody in the late rounds and be like an Eddie Kendrick to them for Minnesota? Yeah, anytime you watch the tape, just turn the game on. He's all over the field, and uh, I think that's going to allow him to be a guy can push and and and, and for a starting job down the road, and, and be a guy helps you on special teams. Production, you you just can't teach or coach. It's there. The instincts are there. Uh, getting through traffic is there. Staying on his feet, making plays. I mean, he's got that ability. So yeah, I would say when you get into that uh, day three area for him, uh, he's going to be an interesting guy to bring into the fold. Josh Kendall, and then I believe I have gotten through all of my RSVPs, so I'm going to go back to people that we have already gone to. So, Josh Kendall. 
Mel, I wanted your thoughts on Hayden Hurst and, and where you think he'll get picked and also the uh, linebacker from South Carolina, Sky Moore. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Sky is, you know, productive, a little undersized. Uh, you know, probably pretty, obviously he'll be outside uh, unless he puts on a lot of weight. But, you know, just finds the ball and stays on his feet and be a three-down guy. I think he's a fourth to fifth round type of player. Hayden Hurst is a first-rounder. We know he could go you know, maybe as high as Dallas, but now the receiver need, maybe that trumps tight end. Uh, maybe he gets into the late first. I think New Orleans would be a good fit for him. Uh, he to be 25 when the year starts. He's 24 now, turns 20. 25 in August, excellent hands, versatile, real, takes a lot of pride in his blocking. Um, just a great kid, a very humble, you know, really uh, well-spoken, humble kid, uh, great teammate. I think he's, you know, Heath Miller is kind of the guy you look at that could be what Hayden Hurst develops into because he can be a guy, can be an inline blocker, which very few tight ends coming out now can do or have ever done and ever will do. So he's unique to the position now. I think that adds to his value and makes him a guy that right there with Dallas Goddard from South Dakota State, you're, they're clearly your two best tight ends in this draft. Matt Kawahara and then Mark Canazero with the New York Post. Earlier this morning I was saying that uh, he believes Roquan Smith is the guy that the Raiders really like uh, at number 10. But if, if Smith is on the board, where do you see the Raiders going at uh, with that 10th pick in the first round? Yeah, I don't think he'll be there. I think Roquan Smith goes earlier than 10. Be, if he's there, it would be a great pick for the Raiders. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech has the length that a lot of teams like because you don't see you know, linebackers with the height and the wingspan he has. I saw Zach Cunningham have a real good rookie year as a second-round pick out of Vanderbilt. The Houston Texans, what helps him is, is, is the fact he's unique to that position. Uh, but I think Roquan will be gone. Edmonds would be there. And that's going to be a hot spot for a trade because that's one pick ahead of Miami. Miami's sitting there. Baker Mayfield's on the board. Uh, then somebody may try to jump in there and get Baker ahead of Miami, which means Oakland's going to have some nice uh, opportunities maybe to move down a bit. So if the, it depends how it falls. If Mayfield's still on the board, that makes that Oakland pick uh, kind of a hot spot in the uh, early portion of round one. We'll go to Mark Canavero and then Jason Galloway with the Wisconsin State Journal. Mel, I have two questions, uh, the first of which is uh, regarding the USC quarterbacks over the years. Obviously, there's been a lot of them have been drafted, some of whom have been high. Is there a common denominator in your mind as to why most of them have not really panned out in the NFL uh, other than, say, Carson Palmer? First question. And the second question is regarding the guard position in the draft. Is there more of an emphasis now? It used to be all about tackles. Does it seem that there's more, a little bit more of an emphasis on guard you know, guards play. Obviously, Nelson is the, is, is the stud in this draft. Yeah, it's a good question. I think Zach Martin really helped. Uh, the, the, he's ironically from Notre Dame, where, where Nelson comes out of. But when Zach Martin came in and was a difference maker for that line, Travis Frederick at center, people, I think it's a, it's a copycat league, it, and that's what they see. They see Zach Martin, guard, you know, being an integral part of that, the finishing piece, along with uh, with Frederick. And he's, oh, now we can get guards and centers. You see Aaron Donald and others, and uh, Gerald McCoys, and then Dominican Sues, and you go on and on with these defensive tackles. There's Brandon Williams in Baltimore. They're so good and they're so dominant that. What bothers the quarterback most? Who's the closest guy to the quarterback? Is that nose tackle, defensive tackle? So when you get guys of that capability, that center guard is an important, is a critical position. So uh, I think it, it has helped them and, and enhanced their value. There's no question about that uh, in terms of where they, where they are right now and where they uh, were maybe five, ten years ago. I missed the, what was the first part of the question? Can you reopen the line, Celestina? 
He is open. And Mel, just regarding the, the, if there's a con well, the common denominator with the lack of oh, success. Oh, the Jason Galloway, and then Dave Burkett to find that second part of the question. Go ahead, Jason. I wanted to ask you about uh, Wisconsin safety, Natrell Jamerson. He's got to put up some, some good numbers at the combine. Mm -hmm. that well, a lot, because you saw it at the All-Star situation. You, you, you saw a kid who was kind of, you know, under the radar because they had other DBs, Nick Nelson and, and, and Dixon and, and company that were in Tyndall that were more highly regarded going in. But you know, certainly, as a, you know, I think as a late-round or special teams guy, uh, he made himself a draft choice, uh, which he wasn't considered back in August. So uh, great for him to go from, like I say, an undrafted guy who was considered their, you know, the fourth-best guy on, in that secondary to being a guy who has a chance to be a fifth-round draft choice. We'll go to Dave Burkett for part two of his question, and then Ishan Kasim. Uh, Mel, just the other guy that I had asked about earlier when we got cut off was, was Zach Seiler from Ferris State. Again, I don't, I don't know if you saw him just because he left school early, you know, what, what he sort of showed on tape and if he's a, a draftable guy at all. Well, that's the thing. Draftable is question. It's, it's very, you know, 
I'd say probably not. I don't like to say no chance, but I would say right now more of a late round or undrafted priority free agent. Uh, there's a lot of those guys, though, every year. That's what we do with the draft grades. The draft grades are reflective on guys that went undrafted and where they land. So what's the best scenario? We'll have to wait and see. That's going to be dictated by the team that I think selects him more so than anything else. And we can say it about a lot of players, but in that case, I think where does he go, where does he land will be important. Deshaun Kasim and then Daryl Slater with the New Newark Star Ledger. Yes, Mel. Um, I was we we talked about Minka already, but um, Ronnie Harrison was a first round pick by um, Mick Shane, his Grade A mock. Um, how do you see him as a prospect, and where do you see him going? Yeah, I think, again, where does he go? I mean, it's going to be very important for the right fit with him. I thought Kansas City at 54, but, you know, I know Todd thought, I think he had him in the late first in New England. Again, where does he land? That's what I say about a lot of these players. I want to see what team they go to uh, because, like, he fits certain teams and he doesn't fit others. But uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, you looked at in certain games. Yeah, he did look like a one. There were some other games where he looked like a 3-4. I, I balance it out as a two. So, uh, you know, I think he's right now, if you look at safeties, I think there's some guys ahead of him. And I know I don't know if Todd would differ on that. I would put, obviously, James and Fitzpatrick. Justin Reed I like more out of Stanford, like his versatility, like the way he gets in that backfield, like the way he intercepts passes when the opportunity presents itself. Great all-around player at Stanford. Jesse Bates at Wake Forest, same thing. So I would say in this draft, to me, he's the fifth-best safety. That's why I project him the second. Maybe Todd disagrees on that. But I'm thinking more mid-second round for Ronnie Harrison. Daryl Slater, and then Joe Person with the Charlotte Observer. Now, if you could put yourself in Mike McCagnon's shoes, if it comes down to Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield for the Jets at three after Allen and Darnold are off the board, what do you think he does? Well, Rosen is the one you keep hearing. Uh, I projected Rosen to the Jets. Um, you know, I mean, Baker, uh, you know, to have a six-foot-and-a-half quarterback, you know, I mean, we had the antics at Oklahoma. He was projected as a third-round pick maybe going in. To jump all the way into that top group is pretty amazing. Um, but, you know, he's got talent. He can throw the football. He can sling it around. Uh, he can move well enough, uh, obviously, to, to give defenses a, a headache. Um He's a competitive kid. Can he channel that in the right direction is the main thing. Take all that competitiveness. Take that chip. He's, he always say, he always say everything. Anytime anybody says something critical about him, he will mark that down and he'll use that as a, as a motivational, uh, force. I mean, it, it worked for players. It worked for some linebackers. Chris Spielman always said the exact same thing. He played with that chip because he reacted to those things that were said. So sometimes you can use that as a potty. Channel it in the right direction. This is unique for a quarterback, though, to kind of have that linebacker mentality like that. Uh, but, you know, he's got to overcome that, be, be professional, be that CEO that you can rely on every day, you know, and, and then at six foot and a half where Drew Brees was a two and Russell Wilson was a three, this hasn't happened. Michael Vick was unique talent, athletically, physically, arm strength was off the charts. He went number one for that reason at six foot. But, you know, normally these quarterbacks, like I say, Russell Wilson third round, Brees second round, now you're talking about Baker Mayfield in the top five, top ten. The Jets at three. Like I say, I, I, I think if Darnold's there, it's easy. You take Darnold at three if you're the Jets, and that would happen if the Giants take Barkley. If Allen goes one, Josh Allen goes one, and the Giants take Saquon Barkley, which is entirely possible, then Sam Darnold's there for the Jets at three. You don't have to worry about Rosen or Mayfield. Joe Person? Hey, Mel, uh, you had good stuff earlier talking about the wide receivers who are going to be available late first round and into the second. You did not uh -huh. mention the Panthers. Uh, you didn't mention the Panther. You're feeling just uh, they've got too many other needs to, to dip in and uh, get Cam another weapon. Yeah, I gave him in the grade eight, Justin Reed, the safety from Stanford. Um, 
they certainly could go wide receiver. I think in the one mock, I know I did have them taking a wide receiver. So, yeah, if you're looking at who would be viable at that point, that's the question. That's the that's what you have to look at. Who would be a, a real strong possibility? If Ridley's gone and Moore's gone, who are you looking at? Now, some people could think D.J. Chark from LSU based on Senior Bowl and, and Combine. And you go back, I wrote him up. Now, after the Auburn game on ESPN.com, you can access all those guys. And what, what I did every week during the football season on Sunday was have a guy – under the radar that's moving up, and a guy when the big board's moving up. So you'll see Darius Phillips, you'll see all these under the radar guys, Anthony Miller and the like, and some big board guys, and he was highlighted on there. Uh, but he had to return in that game. It was key when they came back and won. But a little bit too much, as I say, of a body catcher for me. But I think if you're looking for somebody that you'd put in there as a wild card, it would be D.J. Chark uh, from LSU. Uh, if somebody could jump into that late first-round area. Um, Cortland Sutton from SMU, there's some mixed opinion on, so maybe he could be a guy. If you had a second option after Chark, would be Sutton. Um, and after that, I don't see anybody, because I don't think Miller's going to go in the first, even though I think he's going to be a steal in the second. I don't think Christian, Christian Kirk, if you want a slot receiver, would be a possibility late first, early second. Uh, want to down the field threat, James Washington from Oklahoma State could be that guy in the second. So I think there's going to be six, I'd, I'd say six second-round receivers after the two first-rounders. And, and uh, you know, if maybe one of those six gets into the late first, that would be a stretch. All righty, we are past noon, and I do apologize. That's all the time we have. I also want to make sure I thank everyone on the call. I know this was a very long call. I know we had to ship some timing around, so please know I sincerely appreciate you taking time to be on today. I hope this call and the others this week were helpful. Thanks so much for your interest, and have a great rest of your week.